Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 83 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. My name is Trevor Dame. The other voice you will hear, as always, is Matt Feuerstein. And Matt, it's another year. The podcast is the same, though the rules of podcasting are not changing. The rules of podcasting. Um, I think that actually what we should do as a special episode is like just make a, a, a list of the rules of podcasting and just like come up with like a uh, a uh, comprehensive uh, guidelines for what all podcasters going forward should follow as their uh, podcasting rules. Absolutely. I mean, uh, step one, uh, say something really funny that you don't want to talk about right before you start recording. <laughs> uh, everything else comes naturally. Rule number one of podcasting, always talk about podcasting on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, that, that uh, that's like 80% podcasting, obviously. But uh, yes. Yeah, we made it to another year, 2022. It's We've been doing this for years. It is crazy that we've been doing it this long. I've never – Matt, I've not stuck with much in my life for this length of time. Much more important things I have quit than this. Well, I guess I will um, I will take that as a compliment. Yes. Because oh, somehow, you, somehow you're sticking with me for some insane Matt. reason for five years. There's there's nothing I would no way I would rather waste my life with. Ah, but um, as always, if the, you anyone that's listening to us definitely also has clearly does not have a problem with wasting some of their life on trivial things when they could be doing better things. But as always, we just like to remind you there are three different ways you could listen to us. So. We're on the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. That's with us with a bunch of other shows. We're on just the Through the Years feed. If you just look up T-H-R-O-H, the years, I mean, that's just our show. If you want an easier way to access our full archives, and usually the show goes up there a little bit earlier, but sometimes not that much earlier. And then finally, if you want to watch, if you want to watch us, except you won't see us because we're not a video podcast, but if you want to see a still image from of the show we're covering for three hours and just hear the show on a website browser. We are on YouTube. Some people actually listen to it that way. Not many, but some people Tre- do. Trevor is just will never stop being astounded by this that people listen to podcasts on YouTube. But I will tell you that I have listened to podcasts on YouTube. I I'll admit it. Right here, right now. You know what? I, I'm not astounded that, I'm astounded that people listen to our po- I'm astounded that people listen to our podcast, period, let alone on YouTube. That that's like extra it's like it's like you you're going up a mountain that no one else wants to climb. Well, I, I don't. I can't be self-deprecating like that. People listen to our show. We do. We do well enough. We do far better than I ever would have guessed. But I just Matt things a step. Um. <laughs> so we only have a couple little tidbits between the last show and this show. They're actually they're, they weren't between. I just saved them for this show. Uh, and they're not really even they're, – they're very minor things, but they're just kind of goofy things. They're not even tidbits. Who are we? Herb Kunz? Kunz? How do you pronounce his name? <laughs> that, that is a reference for like 2% of our listeners. Um, How do you pronounce that name? I, I would say Kunz just to be safe, but okay. you know what? You might be right. Um, yeah, it's probably, probably not the first way I said it because uh, you know no one wants to pronounce their name that way. <laughs> Um, these are both from the Observer newsletters at the time of, of the show. The first little bit here, the first, it's not even a tidbit, we'll just call it a bit or a tid. Um, a Kuhn-style tid. Uh, 
Dave wrote, Brian Danielson, who is only 24, is talking about going back to college. I guess he's going to continue to wrestle since the schedule is mainly weekend dates anyway. Matt, this one kind of interested me just because I always thought this is the year of like Brian Danielson was talking interviews like, oh, maybe I'll leave wrestling. Maybe I'll like join the Peace Corps or something. But I thought like once he went back to Ring of Honor, he kind of just stopped that. But it was kind of interesting to hear that like, oh, he was even still now considering like going to school. Of course, he will go to school technically, but it will become the Ring of Honor wrestling school. He will become the teacher there. So that will be his school. There's part of me that seems to remember that he actually did take some courses. Uh, during That's this time, I, I got I got to look back at at the book. Do you, Do you ever feel guilty? Like, like I mean, we're huge Brian Danielson fans all through the years, and clearly wrestling in a lot of ways paid off very well for Brian sticking with it. But there there was this period of time, you know, that we're covering. It's probably coming to a bit of an end at this point, but that where he really kind of considered maybe getting out of wrestling, or at least maybe trying to expand his horizons, find something new. And part of me feels like. Like Brian Danielson, when you just look at him, he seems like such a it's such a shock that that guy would excel at pro wrestling. And I just feel like sometimes I feel like like he wasn't meant to be in pro wrestling. Like maybe the world lost a great, I don't know, botanist or something. I, I something that's more important than pro wrestling. It just But obviously, you know, he has gotten lots of joy out of pro wrestling. He's gotten Severe brain damage out of pro wrestling. He's gotten a wife out of pro wrestling. You know, the yin and the yang of it. Yeah, I mean, listen. I, I mean, it's obviously it's too early to write the all the chapters of the Brian Danielson story. But at least at the moment that we're recording this, January 2022, uh, seems like it's going pretty well for him. And like when you say he wasn't meant to be in pro wrestling, like I get what you mean in that he's like clearly has other interests and skills that things like he can contribute to the world. But in other ways, like he was more than anybody meant to be in pro wrestling um, in the ways that he excels at really all of the things that are important to excel at on a level that very few, very few people do. So I, you know, I, as of now, you know, maybe I'll change my tune in a few years, but right now I don't feel guilty about it. Uh, we may have just doomed him, but uh, <laughs> Trevor, just, Trevor, an extremely superstitious man. <laughs> knock on wood. Uh, this next uh, little tid or bit comes from a Dave Meltzer review of an o- Ohio Valley wrestling episode of TV. Of course, this was at the time when CM Punk was wrestling there. I just thought this was cute. Uh, Dave writes that during this one episode of OVW, commentator Al Snow called CM Punk the most controversial controversial Ring of Honor peer champion in history. Dave writes, I don't even remember him as peer champion. Uh, that's because he never was, Dave. Uh, clear. Uh, I just like the idea that Al Snow is even aware of the pure title. <laughs> like, you would think he would just be, like, world title. Like, um, and that's that. So, fine. Th- that is all the tids and bits we have. So, that brings us – we'll those, get those right are, to Those it. are some pretty major tidbits right there. <laughs> I was scraping the barrel, but, I, you know, anything that's remotely novel, especially on a show that I think is a little bit lighter. There's not huge things going on on the show. So, that will bring us to – Buffalo Stampede, which took place October 15th, 2005, at the North Amherst Recreation Center in Buffalo, New York, in front of a reported crowd of 350 fans. That is not a particularly good crowd for Ring of Honor. Uh, Dave would write in The Observer, 
Amherst was a disappointment as it was the third time in the Buffalo market for Ring of Honor. And with the small crowd, they won't be returning for a long time. And indeed, Dave was right because I don't believe they returned for years. And then they come back for, I believe, a show entitled Buffalo Stampede 2, which I also think they don't come back after that for a long time. I mean, yeah. Buffalo, not a hot market for Ring of Honor. This was also a different venue than the previous two um, events. Now, uh, it's to me, it was very obvious just looking at it, but also I double-checked, and it is. Um, did you notice that this is a completely different venue? It's much darker and doesn't have the hockey like bo- uh, boards that they had when they had the brawl between Shelly and Strong at uh, – uh, what was the uh, – uh, New Horizons, right? That was the name of the show uh, – and, and in fact, New, yeah, Frontier, and, New Frontiers, right? That that was the name of the first show at Buffalo. In Buffalo, yeah. And in fact, when they brawl in the crowd this time, we see batting cages. So they've gone from the hockey rink to the batting cages. The if they had only stayed in Buffalo a few more arenas and a few more shows, we would have gotten to Laser a tag. basketball. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> they could have done that at the Long Island shows, but we did not get to see the uh, the the laser tag. Man, what a missed opportunity! Man, I should be a booker. <laughs> Um, who would so, you book? Who would you book? Well, we can we can talk about this another time. I was gonna say, no, who would you book in the ROH laser tag battle all time? All time ROH laser tag battle. <laughs> well, if I'm like, if I was playing against them, it'd be like Abyss, uh, some of you like you know big bodies, easy targets. But uh, <laughs> Jack Evans probably very spry. You know, could probably maneuver his way out of many a laser shot. Um, Grizzly Redwood. Short to the low center of gravity, he might have an advantage. Um, I feel like um, I would, even though he was not an ROH veteran, I would bring in as a ringer Eric Watts. He was part of Techno Team 2000, <laughs> and I feel like he would be the master of lasers. So uh, every time I mention that laser tag happens, I think of this is this is bad, but um, I think of the time my dad took my entire family out to laser tag and he faked a heart attack so he could shoot us all. Yes, I forgot about that story, but now I remember it. That's a good one. Classic, Fritz von Erich style. Yeah, we were – he he really was the Fritz von Erich of our family. But like we we were like I was like on the verge of tears. We were about to send one of us away to call to like get someone to call a doctor, and there's this pow pow pow. He eliminates all of us. And uh, listen, you got to play to win. No mercy. I mean, I mean, it, absolutely. You know, he was ruth- as ruthless in laser tag as he was in the buffet buffet table. I guess. So I, what I what I, I'm going to say is that if I was booking a laser tag team, I don't care if it's ROH, I don't care if it's anybody. The real ringer that you got to bring in is not Eric Watts. It is Trevor Dame's father. <laughs> the master oh. of laser tag. Uh, I, I'm just having flashbacks to things I don't even want to talk about. Okay. I apologize um, for bringing for actually no. This is something you know. I'll just say uh, laser that same laser tag was before we was going. It was the first time my dad really talked to me about sex, and he just said, "Trevor, it's better than going to Hawaii." And uh, <laughs> To, to this day, I think about that and I go, I don't know. As I, sometimes as I get older, I go, you know what? I don't know if I agree with that all the time. Yeah, you know, I've never been to Hawaii, but, you know, like. Me neither. Th- I mean, listen, there are a lot of things that I couldn't live without. And I don't, you know, if I made the lit, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, like, it depends how many days, what's the food like, you know. Really, stuff like really, that, to me, the, the the food is really the entire thing for me. 
Yeah, are we going to roast a whole pig? Are we are there going to try all the different kinds of spam dishes? Are we going snorkeling later? I mean, you know, there's some sex that you know I've had, Matt. It doesn't sound that good. Yeah, you know, Trevor. I bet, yeah, Trevor. I bet you really love snorkeling more than sex. You, you <laughs> sometimes do the same thing. I know. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, going to the Pro Wrestling Torch, uh, they also wrote about the attendance here. Uh, Wade wrote, or someone who wrote for the Torch wrote, the, the Saturday night event in Buffalo include a relatively small crowd, which was not particularly enthusiastic about the product. Sapolsky doesn't agree with characterizations that the crowd in Buffalo was odd. Quote, nothing went wrong, he tells the Pro Wrestling Torch. The crowds were fine and the Buffalo fans were great. One bad apple doesn't rule, ruin a whole crowd. Sterling Keenan, who wrestled Claudio Castagnoli early on the card, wrote on his web journal, quote, They were the most bizarre, silent crowd I've ever seen. It was seriously was like a PGA golf crowd. They were dead silent for the majority of the night. And believe me, it wasn't for lack of good wrestling. I actually watched most of the show from the back and popped for more than the crowd itself. Weird. I'm going to say this. Um, we'll talk about the crowd, but like, this is... I mean, I know for a fact we've reviewed shows that have had worse crowds than this, at least in terms of how they came off on DVD. Like, for a fact, I know, I, I, rem- I, rem- I can tell you specifically what shows even. Yeah, like, I would say this is in the bottom half of Ring of Honor crowds, but yeah. it's not, like... Bottom of the barrel, they, they make, no. They, they make noise for all the matches, and it does not necessarily always sound loud, but that's because it's 350 people, you know, I mean... Yeah, and the acoustics of the building, and yeah, I mean, they weren't like super, they weren't a hot crowd by any stretch of the imagination, but like, they seemed to be paying attention to the matches and didn't heckle them, which I you, we've seen before, like, there wasn't like a bunch of like, bullshit distractions in the crowd, like, they cared about the matches, they were just kind of subdued. Yeah, and... It's it is I think we talked about this last show it it is something I you know you would guess that people would you know Ring of Honor would do better in Buffalo because you could you know draw fans from Canada because it's right close to the border but it never really turned out that way and obviously here you know Steve Carino I I, I have to think that maybe that's another reason they tried Buffalo was that I believe like ECW one of their biggest crowds ever was in Buffalo and so you know Gabe probably had that in his mind like hey Buffalo at one point in the relatively recent past, was a good market for it. In fact, this show is being main evented by an ECW alumni, but for whatever reason, it just didn't turn out that way during this time. Uh, we opened back, we opened the DVD backstage with the new Lacey's Angels of Lacey, Jimmy Jacobs, and BJ Whitmer. Lacey says, last night was a big one for Lacey's Angels. They came so close to becoming the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions once again, but yet so far, she criticizes them for being the same old Jimmy Jacobs and BJ Whitmer. Uh, she gives Jimmy at this point a Ric Flair-esque robe with a frilly purple fringe to it and says it's going to make them a lot of money. Uh, Jimmy at first seems to not like the idea of wearing it, but as soon as he puts it on, he brightens up and he really likes it. He goes, Hey, I think this is my color. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good wearing this. Um, she then hands BJ a more business-like, um, kind of like a dress shirt or a jacket or something. And BJ says, Oh yeah, okay, I'll give it a shot. And, uh, Jimmy and BJ then walk away and then Lacey turns to the camera and does her typical Lacey thing where she's like, just like every stupid little boy or big dumb man, it's so easy. And, you know, the Lacey character continues, Matt, where it, the two things are she loves manipulating men and she thinks having wrestlers slightly dress up is the key to making a large amount of money. It's also funny that, like, 
they those two things go together because the thing she was manipulating them to do was slightly dress up. Like, <laughs> and but I but I will say this as as silly as that is, I um I did enjoy that um Jimmy Jacobs like took I guess in character like took so well to this like change in in uh in appearance and change in a uh, presentation like he just like the 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 you know the frilly jacket or whatever like he just imme- it immediately changes his whole attitude and the way he walks and i appreciated that that'll continue actually in the match a bit too and i really i actually like the direction that jimmy uh took here um i also thought it was funny because bj at one point calls lacy sweetie and you know lacy's <laughs> not supposed to like that she should she yeah. should be she should be like hey like i'm not i'm not sweetie like but she didn't really respond I I think she just uh, probably just didn't even notice it in the midst of the promo. And I agree about you. I think that's like it was a great like 10 second acting performance from Jimmy where if you watch him go from like getting the robe and being like, I don't want this. And the way he tr- turns it on, he like he facially just is like he does a good job of kind of just emotionally like transforming 10 seconds. That feeling of, hey, I actually like this. You know, I, I really actually liked his little performance there. Um Next, we cut to Steve Credo backstage with Dave Prezak. Credo calls Prezak a weasley little stooge. And then he says he wants the Ring of Honor title because when he wins it, things are going to change. He then slips in his usual line about the internet fans downloading their internet porn and how he's going to, you know, stick it to all of them. As and, and actually, the- about that, about the internet fans thing, he, there's a little bit of a misplaced modifier there because the way he says it was, all those internet fans downloading internet porn at ROHwrestling.com, like he says that all as like <laughs> one thing. And it's just like, I went to ROHwrestling.com and I do not remember that being one of the things that you could do. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, could you imagine if like ROH was in the business selling porn and Gay was plugging it the way he would be like, oh, that we've seen that in the same way, and he just reels off a list of like porn titles that yeah. like, we, we, yeah. we've seen this move before. <laughs> this <laughs> is the rematch. Gets 14. I mean, oh the, the, my god! In, in their last scene together, they did this, this, and this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I thought the Creole promo, like, it's funny, like, on the last show, he said something like, you know, Ring of Honor is holding me back because they know I'm booking me as a face because they know I'm better as a heel. Honestly, like, th- these heel promos, it's like, is like the least I like Creole because it's yeah. always the same two things. It's always, I'm going to make Ring of Honor's, you know, make them miserable, insider references, you internet fans, the end. Like, he's actually better in Ring of Honor, at least. It's just kind of a wise-ass, like, baby face. Unless he's yeah, fighting homicide. I agree. I also like when he goes, when the belt changes hands, everything changes. And I was like, is that confirmed? I- I'm not really, sh- I'm not really clear if that's true. <laughs> that when the belt changes hands, everything changes. I don't know about that. And so then the show happened. There was three dark matches with the students. As usual, we did not see them. They're not on the DVD. Uh, Pele Primo defeated Smash Bradley. Bobby Dempsey defeated someone that is not a student, Eric Adamson. Uh, when I was listening to the An Honorable Mention episode of their podcast about the show, they don't even know who, <laughs> like, really have any information on who he was. So if, like, one of, you know, if what? one of the students that wrestled the pre-show doesn't remember and can't find out who, what they, who they were, Eric Adamson was, I won't either. Well, Eric Adams is the new mayor of New York City, so I'm just going to assume it was him. Uh, don't get me started. Well, actually, do get me started. I don't, I don't really know much about him. <laughs> it would be, uh, be pretty funny if you had like a really strong opinion about him. <laughs> I mean, I've seen a couple of things, but for the most part, Matt, uh, up here in Western Canada, I'm not keeping up that big on New York politics. <laughs> 
And then there was Derek Dempsey defeating Shane Hagedorn in the main event of your little three-match pre-show. That brings us to what we did get to see match-wise, and that would be BJ Whitmer. Not in his fancy new clothes. No, that, that is also interesting as, as we'll see later. Uh, Jimmy Jacobs will, will come out in his fancy new clothes. BJ not coming out in his. So he, if he tried on that dress shirt, he did not like it. Um, but BJ Whitmer defeated Davey Andrews via pinball in seven minutes and 57 seconds after he hit the wrist clutch exploder. Uh, Matt, this was Davey Andrew. You know, he was considered to be the top student in the Ring of Honor class. Uh, this was his biggest match thus far, you know, getting eight minutes opening match on the main card against like a Ring of Honor regular. Uh, how do you think he fared here? I was really surprised with how much BJ gave Andrews here. Um, and, you know, there were a couple of little things like um, like either BJ or Davey fucked up a snap like suplex. It almost turned into like a snap brain buster DDT type of thing that looked nasty. I don't know whose fault that was, but like otherwise, you know, Davy handled himself well. And like, he got a lot of, I mean, relatively speaking, a lot of offense in. you know, not like a lot, a lot, but way more than I would have guessed. Um, and you know, I, I thought it was, it was fine. Like it was, it was, it was competitive. Like, you know, Andrews even got a couple of near falls and, you know, in the end, BJ showed some dominance. He like, he pulled, uh, Davey up at two a couple times before he won with the wrist clutch exploder. And I guess that was there to establish his dominance. And like, but at the beginning, when I first saw this match, I wrote like, wow, finally a match that BJ can win because like they had him lose like a bunch of matches in a row. And at least, like, he got a match that he could win, but I really did not expect it to go eight full minutes. And I thought, you know, it was still, you know, Andrews is still pretty much a rookie, and so it's still, there's still, like, rookie stuff. But I thought he did a good job. This was fine. This was a perfectly okay opener. And considering, you know, that this is, like, the first, like, real competitive match Andrews has had with a, a, a like, a main roster, so to speak, wrestler, I thought that was a, uh, you know that over that was an overachievement in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I thought this was perfectly acceptable, perfectly fine. Um and I like you I was a little bit surprised not in, in terms of how much offense BJ gave. I mean, he gave him some. I was more like surprised by just how hard he sold for Andrews early, like very early on they do a strike exchange and they actually BJ actually like basically lets Andrews when he like stumbles off his feet like selling that he was almost like knocked loopy by Davey Andrews. And I was like, wow, that's quite a bit to give him right off the bat. And like you said, he got a couple near falls. I almost felt like in a couple, like having like eight Davey knock him off his feet and like he's selling, like he was almost like knocked out. And then later they do like a 10 count double down spot. I also felt like he was selling almost a little two bit for Davey in a couple of those spots. But overall I thought he get a, he did the right thing of getting him a decent amount of offense, but he still clearly, BJ definitively won. Um, Andrews is interesting at this point because I feel like sometimes you see wrestlers, especially nowadays, it seems like there are so many wrestlers where you see them and they're like these rookie feet arms where they're like 21 and they're already just crazy. We're seeing this Nick Wayne now on the indies who's not even out of his goddamn teens yet and he's just learning about Hawaii and sex and he's, <laughs> he's, he's already, uh, He's already like athletically very gifted. And Davey Andrews is a guy, I would say he's a more of a traditional wrestling rookie where 
if you just watched him and didn't know he was a rookie, you go, oh, he's nothing special. But then if you told someone how little experience you he had, then you go, oh, like I get it why he's kind of impressive then because you could see if he kept developing in a few years. But he's not the kind of guy where he's already like having great matches, but he's the kind of guy where you're like, if, if you're aware that he hasn't wrestled very much at all and he's just fresh out of school, like he's more, he's, he's perfectly competent already. I think one bad thing for him was his his kind of persona at this point was very much the growly, I'm going to be stiff, black trunks indie guy, which like there are a lot of people on the indies who do that same thing. So it kind of he was kind of competing in a in a deep water there. There was a lot of people to be compared to that do the same thing. But yeah, overall, I thought it was a uh, decent match. There was. There was one, there was a Davy Andrews running knee in the corner where I couldn't tell if, if what knee he meant to hit. Like his, his one knee went way high in the air, but missed on BJ's head by a mile. But his other knee that actually made contact hit like BJ in the belly button. So I was like, I literally watched it like three or four times going, which knee was supposed to be the one that hit? Cause I, you could make a case for either. So. And, and like you said, the other notable spot was that BJ snap suplex that Davey didn't get over for that turned almost into basically almost like a shoot DDT. He's very lucky that didn't go horribly wrong. And Matt, one, one other thing to mention on this match, I think we were talking on the last show about like, or at least I mentioned that Lacey was seen kind of happy. Like when, um, BJ and Jimmy lost like they, at least the camera cut to where she was smiling and I went that made no sense and I don't know if this was Gabe feeding it to them or Prazak thinking on the spot but Prazak on commentary here actually comes up with a good justification he goes he says something to the effect on commentary of um Lacey was somewhat happy that BJ and Jimmy lost because she wants to be the one responsible for making changes that make BJ and Jimmy a better team and thus get the credit when they start winning again so I mean it's still not perfect, but I thought at least that would that was kind of a, a, a rationale for why she wouldn't have been that pissed that they lost. But it's kind of sad that like that had to be explained by the commentator and not by the the, the manager that uh, gets a promo on every show basically at this point. But either way, that makes sense. I think that that's a, that actually is a very clever explanation. And and by the way, when you were talking about Nick Wayne not being out of his goddamn teens, and then uh, mentioned uh, Hawaii and sex, now that now I just I'm assuming that you were just talking like your dad the whole time, and he just referred to you and your friends as goddamn teens for that entire era. <laughs> uh, probably worse than that. Um, <laughs> So a- after the match, uh, BJ gives Davey a light boot to the head, and then as he and Lacey walk to the back, Lacey takes a dollar bill that a fan offered up to him to, to her, and she tears it up, throws it back in his face, and uh, we uh, she should have she print- should have burned it and lit a cigar with it. <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna ruin money, you might as well make it you know make it visually impressive. Very wasteful. Um. We cut to Prince Nana, Jimmy Rave, and Alex Shelley backstage. Uh, Nana says someone is not walking out of here tonight, and if Jay Chung gets in his way, he'll kill her. He then brings onto camera Ring of Honor student Derek Dempsey and Abyss. He tells Abyss that Derek is a toy for him. Abyss chokes Derek Dempsey, drags him off of camera, and then as the rest of this little segment goes, we hear Dempsey screaming in pain as apparently as... I guess we're supposed to just assume Abyss is beating up Dempsey or eating him or something. Uh, we hear uh, – so anyway, yeah, we hear him getting beat up. 
Shelley then says that tonight is poetic justice, and he's not talking that horrible movie with Janet Jackson and Tupac. I don't, think, I, that- I don't think that movie was horrible, but it does have a 34% rotten rate, uh, you know, fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, so maybe I'm wrong. I love that you looked at that up. I had not thought before I, I rewatched this. This, you know what? I thought was the last time I thought of the movie Poetic Justice. It was probably the first time I watched this match. You know, fifteen, sixteen years ago. <laughs> so, and now it's the second time in that span of time. Um, Alex says that somebody nice generation next tried to make sure he didn't walk out of the building, but tonight's going to be one of them that doesn't walk out of the building. And then Rave says that maybe tonight he'll hit his new finishing move, but Shelly and Nan are both like, whoa, maybe, maybe. We don't know if the, the people are ready for it yet. And so if you were following like the Ring of Honor website this time, this was something they were heavily hyping in the newswires so that like, uh, Jimmy Rave's got a new finisher and you know, like they were really hyping up, which of course would turn out to be the pedigree. And I think they even wrote on the newswires for this double shot weekend that like Jimmy said, the people in these cities don't deserve it. Like, <laughs> which of course adds to the, when it actually just turns out to the pedigree, it adds to it. Yeah, no, it's, it was it was very clever the way they did that. I also, by the way, I like the setting they chose for the backstage promos here. It was like, you know, just in front of like it was basically like a gym like wall, like you know they had some like padding on the wall and like it was brightly lit. And it's like this was one of all the places they've ever done. This was one of the best spots I've ever seen for promos in an ROH DVD. Like, and I guess that's saying a lot because it, you know, they would always be in like <laughs> random different spots, but like they actually found the good spot that they could do all their backstage promos in. I was impressed. Matt, we have Stockholm Syndrome when we've gotten to the point where we're like, you know what? I'm impressed. This this backstage area was brightly lit. Like, yeah. You know, we're, we're happy with so little. It looked and you know what, Matt? I was going to joke about that. But you know what? Later on, there's like a key little development that is not brightly lit. So, you know what? I guess I should be like you and I should be grateful yeah. that we could clearly see what these promos were. Yeah, they found, like, a spot where it's, it wasn't too <laughs> echoey, like, it was, you know, like, it was just, like, a normal spot for promos. They didn't have to do, they didn't have to go, like, go outside, like, six hours before the show. Like, it was just normal. It was good. The one, it, thing, it the one thing they gave up by not going back to Buffalo. <laughs> uh, they should have just shot a year's worth of promos there. Um <laughs> Next up, Claudio Castagnoli defeated Sterling Keenan via pinball in 5 minutes, 6 seconds with the Ricola bomb. Who would have guessed all these years later, Sterling Keenan would be calling Claudio's matches in the WWE. Um, this felt like a TV squash match. And, of course, in Ring of Honor, squashes aren't common, although we have been seeing some lately with Ricky Reyes. But what this one was a little bit different feeling to me is we just saw this with the Ricky Reyes match, striker match, where usually if it's not like – a student getting squashed, usually in, in Ring of Art or just Indies, period. I find if a guy's getting squashed or beaten pretty quickly, they give the guy that's getting taking the fall a fair bit of offense. Like even Stryker in that match, the two-minute match with Reyes, he got like 90 seconds of it and then just died to a few moves at the end. This was kind of surprising to me where Keenan, like, he gets to a few moves. He hits like a fist drop and like a fireman's carry into a backbreaker. But really – the the whole focus of this match was Claudio. I mean, it, it, this really did feel like he was a jobber whose job was just to give shine to Claudio. Even the way where when Claudio was really overdoing like all the hay stuff, like St- Sterling very quickly shifted into kind of a stoogy kind of I'm going to imitate it to get booze and, you know, look dumb because I can't get the crowd to, to hey, you know, cheer for me when I do it, too. Uh, it really did feel like this could have been on an episode of WCW Saturday Night. But I will say 
not much as a match, but as just as a showcase for Claudio, you know, got to do a bunch of his regular offense. He did a 32 count delayed vertical suplex. You know, he was over, he, you know, and he looked good. So in, in that sense, mission accomplished. Yeah. I uh, like this a lot less than you did even. Um, I, um, I thought this was the worst match on the show. And I think this is one of my, one of the worst Claudio matches I've ever seen. Um, like, and like Claudio's a great, great, great wrestler. So like, I'm not saying this was botchy in any way or like they were on different pages. It was just so basic and like uninteresting that I couldn't believe it. Cause Claudio usually, even when he has like a showcase, like he's just, he's dynamic, you know, and he did some of his Hay stuff and yeah, the crowd liked it, but just like everything he did was just like his most basic stuff. And it was not done with any specific amount of energy. And I could see why Keenan didn't like this crowd because the crowd didn't care about him at all. Um, <laughs> and like they didn't have a good match. Like it was just like it was boring and it wasn't that long to be so boring. So like I, I, I don't know what else to say. Like I, 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 I felt, I felt like surprised at how not good it was. Like it was just. They just didn't try anything that was more than just the basic, which I guess is fine. Like it doesn't have; they don't have to have a good match every time, but like it wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, it's actually you know I I again I I just, I thought it was perfectly fine little showcase for Clyde, but I I get what you're saying. It's interesting that I feel like the big indies nowadays they do not have matches like this, you know, where where you kind of burn a match. Just you know, we're gonna do five minutes. And, you know, don't do too much. It's just basically to get someone over for future shows in theory, I guess. Like, I feel like nowadays you book six or seven matches and you just tell everyone to try and have like a really good match. It was, it was, it, it's always kind of a weird throwback watching 2000 Ring of Honor and then like looking at modern day indies. Well, because again, like we, as we talked about back then, you could sort of count on guys being there for a while. And I think, you know, we're going to get back to that era now. Where you can count on guys being on indies for a while. Because, like, for a while, it was like, oh, they're going to get snatched up by WWE or AEW or whatever. And, you know, that's, guys are not going to get snatched up by WWE for the, in for the foreseeable future. So mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, I think we are going to maybe at some point see a return to this style of booking indies. Um, and we'll see how that goes. I mean the the and speaking for return I mean the booker the book the guy who booked this match could be back on the indies we don't know so uh we'll see and uh we cut to Jade Chung backstage she's sure that Nana was celebrating a business win over Jack Evans last night but she focuses on in this promo about how she showed no fear throwing herself into a business path to try and stop him from beating up Jack more she is sick of all the abuse and torture Nana put her through and she says nothing scares her anymore she says she will personally stop Prince Nana. So well, we've this. seen the, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'll say this. She's getting more promo time than I remembered. And I think that's good. You know, at least they're following up. I didn't really remember that they did it to that degree where she was around so much. And, um, you know, it's fine. You know, I mean, I get, you know, I didn't like the, the first promo. I, I'm already over, you know, I'm over it. Like whatever. Now it's just sort of like judging these promos on their own. And like, she's doing fine. And I think this is a, a perfectly fine way to, um, to go with the character at this point. Yeah, again, her delivery is solid. I would, I, the only thing I would say is I think now we've seen, like, she's cut this same promo three times in a row now. But, I mean, I guess, like, there's not much else for her to say at this point. I mean, there's no real big developments in the angle. It's just kind of treading water at this point. But uh, Jay Lethal next defeated Jimmy Jacobs via pinfall in 11 minutes, 6 seconds after he hit a dragon suplex. Uh, Matt, uh, Jimmy did come out 
with a rope. And I want to say something. I, I think this is a funny example sometimes of how Dave Meltzer could like interpret or read too much into live reports and take things that were not there. And of course, we're recording this a uh, couple of days after Dave says that reports that a uh, Katsuyori Shibata had his brain removed from his skull at one point, which uh, can't be true unless there's a new medical miracle happening. But um, anyway, Dave wrote in the Observer about this match. The rules of brain uh, surgery have changed. <laughs> um Jim, jimmy jacob he, dave wrote jimmy jacobs of lacey's angels is has dropped the brody mannerisms and is now imitating an old rick flair uh, matt he's not imitating rick flair <laughs> he wore a robe with a frill on it that that, that is that, i mean i guess he tried to strut at one point but like it is funny that like he probably took someone saying oh you know he's wearing a flair like robe like this is not the start of a new Ric Flair-based gimmick for Jimmy Jacobs. No, it is not. Um, but uh, what do you think about the match? Well, first of all, it just this match made me realize, like, man, what a like. Even though the whole like Lacey's Angels like turn to be, you know, you just talk about Lacey's Angels in general. It's not like the world's most memorable stable, and like B.J. Whitmer and Jimmy Jacobs' run in Lacey's Angels was not that good or memorable either but like wow when you look back this was such a good move for jimmy jacobs in terms of like you know he comes out with this new boa boa robe and it's purpley pink which is and it's like already immediately so much closer to the aesthetic that he'd have pretty much for the rest of his entire career and it's just like it's funny how things work out you know what i mean like it's just like this gimmick that really didn't turn out to be much kind of set jimmy on a path to like remaking his whole in-ring persona into something that's you know, I think seems to be like, you know, when you see him wrestle even like in 2021, like he it was like the color palette and everything was much closer to this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and really, and he's so tied to Lacey. So it's, it's just funny how, you know, something so small has such a big effect on this particular wrestler. But um, yeah, I like this match. I thought it was good. I thought it didn't overstay its welcome. And I really like Jacobs here. Like he's not he like he's just getting into the heel persona, but it's like it's not a dastardly heel persona, right? Like he doesn't cheat. He's just like pathetic a little bit. Like he's he alternates between cocky, goofy, like he keeps like going to Lacey like for comfort in the match, which I think is like good foreshadowing to like his obsession with her. Um but the wrestling itself is good. Um you know, like, they, they start out, like, doing a lot of shtick with, like, Lacey not wanting Jimmy to huss, but, like, Lethal husses at him, and Jimmy tries to huss, but instead he just struts around, and some guy in the crowd keeps trying to start a she, she's a crack whore chant at Lacey, which is just, it didn't work, luckily, but it's, like, so uncreative. It's just, like, it, do, it doesn't even make sense, like, you know, like, it's just, like, let me think of something misogynistic to say that I've heard in wrestling before. Um, like if she's a crack whore, she's the best dressed, most like put together crack whore. I, I, I know I've ever it, seen. It, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it just even I mean just the whole concept of that is 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 ridiculous to in the first place. Yeah. But um, but yeah, but like they they you know they do a surprising amount of like real mat wrestling early, like which like on the mat, like quick paced, pretty good. Jacobs keeps escaping to the outside. Just and I guess you know that's what makes him the heel basically that he can't really get the advantage cleanly, but he's not like again not dastardly at all. Um, it's funny though because two matches in a row, the babyface gets um 
gets an advantage. And so in the Keenan match, he took an advantage briefly by snapping lethal, I'm um, snapping Claudio's neck over the top rope on, from the apron. And that's how Jacobs gets the advantage here too, which is like, all right, I guess that's a, that's a um, side effect or a consequence of not having agents, right? It's that they can't say yeah. like, oh yes, that they just did that spot in the last match for the same exact purpose, but you know, not that big of a deal. Um, but Jacobs goes after the Lethal's neck. He he chokes him on the top rope. There's one wacky spot where Lethal rolls rolls through a sunset flip. Um, Jacobs turns it into a La Magistra, but Lethal blocks that and turns that into even a more complicated looking pinning combination for a two count. Um, that's one of the fun things about the Indies, but just little spots like that where they're just trying something. Um, at one point, like Lee, uh, Jacobs has the advantage, and he starts strutting around, and Lacey has to remind him, like, no, 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 don't strut, attack Lethal more. <laughs> um, so, like, that keeps it comedic. Um, but you know, once once they get into some of the the hot stuff near the end, um, you know, Lethal puts Jacobs on the top rope. Jacobs goes for a swinging DDT, but Lethal tosses him off and hits a leg lariat off the middle turnbuckle, and then Lethal hits a really good looking springboard DDT from the apron for a two count. Um, uh, Jacobs comes back. He hits a, it's a Rana off the second rope for a two count. Lethal blocks the contra code and goes for the dragon uh, suplex, but Jacobs fights him off. Hits a spear. Then Jacobs hits hits the top rope sent on. Gets a two count, and he again he goes to grab Lacey's hand, and she's just like begging him, like no, no, attack Lethal. <laughs> Um, so he again goes for the contra code, but Lethal drops him face first on the top turnbuckle. Hits the dragon suplex, a really good one. Gets the win. Um, I thought Lethal looked good here, but I felt like the match was more about Jacobs and Lacey, and I thought Jacobs made a really good impression here. I'm actually surprised that he was almost going to be dropped um, from the roster um, because I thought that he comported himself pretty well here, and you could already see that Jimmy and Lacey sort of have a fun dynamic going. Yeah, it's interesting watching this match back like for those reasons, right, where – it's like we know something that even they don't know because, yeah, you watch Jimmy here and you see like, oh, a lot of the elements in the chemistry that would make like the whole Jimmy Loves Lacey angle a hit are already there. But clearly, you know, it's not in their minds yet because, you know, all the Jimmy Love Lacey, Jimmy Loves Lacey stuff comes from things, you know, months down the line when Jimmy feels like he's on his way out of Ring of Honor unless he makes like a change. But like you can see a lot of the elements are already right there in this match. Um, yeah, the way you talked about like, yeah, I, I well, the first half of this match really is about just Jacob's new character. And the way I would put it would be like, um, I would describe it almost as if he's trying to be a heel for, for Lacey and he doesn't know how to be a heel. Like I like that. He ke- <laughs> yeah. He, he keeps like bailing out, you know, and getting like reassurance from her. And that leads to one point where he has bailed out so many times that one time he bails out early and he bails out in like the corner of the ring and crotches himself on the ring post accidentally. Um, he's always kind of looking to approve for, to her for approval, like a lost puppy. Uh, I, I believe like the point you were talking about where, um, he struts and she's telling him to cover. Like, I think it was almost like she was telling him to cover and he thought she was saying strut. And she's like, no, no, cover, cover, not strut. He's like, this, this. And, and like, he just doesn't understand. And yeah, it, it is interesting because it's not, you know, it's not something that's going to get him actual heel heat because he's too lovable, you know, and it's too soft. Because he, he, he's really just a guy who's trying to impress impress his boss and give her what he wants. Like, there's one point where he's choking Jay on the ropes, and then he loudly just asks Lacey, like, like that? 
like like he's trying to figure out how to be a bad guy. Um, there was a couple of moments in this match where he was selling so over the top for like simple like Jay Lethal offense, where he was almost spasming, which I thought you're almost going too over the top. But then the second half of the match, I thought was a pretty good match. I thought these two like had pretty decent chemistry together. It was like. You had all the character stuff in the first half, and then it's like, okay, time to have a wrestling match. And I was like, wow, I'm actually – I mean, it wasn't an amazing match, but it was pretty decent. And I was like a little bit surprised, not that I should be, because they're both you know pretty good wrestlers. But they, they did pretty well together. You covered a lot of the big beats. I would say that senton Jimmy did, that's like one of the loudest-sounding sentons I've ever heard him do. It just had a real like loud thud when he hit Jacobs. That dragon suplex at the end, too. Normally when people take a – Jay Lethal's dragon suplex, they take it very safely. They do like a full flip and land on their belly. And Jimmy, for, I don't know who, uh, if it was Jimmy's decision or if someone slipped or what, but like Jimmy takes it like almost on his head. And you can hear a couple people in the crowd being like, ooh. But uh, yeah, entertaining match. It was, again, it's really interesting if you know where they're, um, what's going to become of Jimmy and Lacey to see kind of how much of it is already there, like you said. And boy, a lot of people really wanted Jimmy to huss, including there was multiple just one huss chants, which is at least a more inventive chant. See, that but, Buffalo um, crowd wasn't so bad. Yeah, exactly. You know, they were they made noise for this. Um, and that brings us to the Ring of Honor pure title match. Nigel McGuinness successfully defended the title when he defeated Samoa Joe via pinball in 10 minutes, 54 seconds. When he did the, uh, I guess we would describe it as the WrestleMania 8 finish. The, uh, he, uh, Joe gets him in the rear naked choke. Uh, Nigel goes like they lie down on their back and then Nigel just kind of rolls backwards, puts his feet on the turnbuckles or the ropes while he's in the choke. But since he's, he, he, all the rope breaks were used up, it is legal for him to do so. He gets the pin that way. Uh, before the match, the crowd chants, Joe is going to kill you as they are want to do in Joe matches. And Nigel has this really adorable, funny moment where he gets on the mic and he, he goes, Joe, I just want you to let you know these 500 fans are chanting, Joe, He's going to kill you. And I just love, like, <laughs> Nigel is so oblivious. And th- that really lo- sums up Ni- – oh, go on, man. I, like, I love grammar-related jokes. No <laughs> comma there. The comma would be the difference. And this really, you know, is a perfect example of Nigel's character where he's, like, either oblivious or just really <laughs> taking things in a, in a different direction. As always, Nigel interrupts Todd Sinclair's rules explanation to grab the mic and admonish the fans for not respecting the reading of the rules. He mentions how Buffalo has a sports team, which he calls the Buffalo Bulls. Todd has to correct him, and it's the Buffalo Bills, Nigel. Nigel then goes, eh, football's a stupid game anyway. They don't even kick the ball. And it's just an excuse for men to wear shoulder pads and try to give each other their sacks, which gets laughs from the crowd. And then Nigel says, we're in for a class tonight because he's defending against the wrestling bear, Samoa Bobo. And just how pleased Nigel was with a really dumb, not clever at all. Like, he was so proud of himself for saying Samoa Bobo. He was like, huh? Eh, like, you could just tell the energy. It was like Nigel was just running, like, his character was perfect at this point. And, um, 
Nigel then calls Joe a hell of a wrestler and the future of this business and says that Joe's even accepted a role in an upcoming movie. DreamWorks wants him to play the lead in Shrek 3. And I love, of all the things that Joe's ever been called or things we've, angles we've seen him at, this is what gets Joe to see Red and jump <laughs> Nigel before the bell. Being called Shrek. It also, it also makes me think, oh wow, this is old. <laughs> <laughs> Shrek 3. <laughs> <laughs> like there's how many Shrek I, I, Matt there's a, a shocking revelation I've never seen a Shrek like just so, like around town you mean <laughs> I've never seen a Shrek around town I have never seen a Shrek film uh-huh. I've seen Shrek action figures at Walmart even though I don't buy action figures sometimes I will just hang around there to okay that sounds bad I, I don't know I, I you see things in stores Matt anyway <laughs> alright good, good good talk <laughs> like Hawaii. Uh, this match, uh, it, it, this match, Matt, it was weird. Um, it does something interesting right at the start and then it doesn't go anywhere with it. Uh, Nigel, right at the start of the match with the, with the infamous Shrek comment, uh, he pisses off Joe so much that he gets jumped before the bell and, and, and he immediately uses Joe's anger against him. Like Joe's just rushing at him, like ball charging him. And Nigel within the first minute gets Joe to use up all three of his rope breaks. So he just kind of runs into submissions, including the third time Nigel just takes Joe's hand and puts it on the ropes and then points the ref's attention to it. And, um, so all of a sudden it's like the first minute of this match and Joe has used all his rope breaks, which is kind of an, you know, an interesting thing because now Nigel basically for the whole match can use the ropes and until that finishing spot where he wins the match, Nigel from that moment does not use the ropes a single time. And then Joe spends the next few minutes of the match quickly getting Nigel to use up his three rope breaks. And then at that point, Joe never uses the ropes. Like it's a match where two guys fight for an advantage and then neither of them really uses the advantage apart from the one spot at the very end. And what we get instead is a pretty standard Joe Nigel match. Um, it's good. It's not great. Um, it's there's not other than Joe working the submission, a few submissions to get um, Nigel to use up his rope breaks. There's not a lot of mat work. It's mostly more strikes and just typical moves back and forth. Um, there is one spot that's really neat. I at least I thought was really neat near the end where. Joe hits an Ole kick on the outside. He goes for a second. Nigel gets out of the way and Joe like kicks through the barricade and he excels that he's gotten his foot stuck between the rungs of the barricade. And since it's a pure title match, there's a 20 count on the floor. So Nigel gets in the ring, you know, the ref is counting and they tease that like Joe's going to be counted. Like he only gets in with, I don't know how many seconds left, but not many. And then Nigel had his back to Joe. He thought he wins the match. You know, Joe reveals like hey i'm here beats him up some more but what i liked about that was nigel's already done so many kind of screwy finishes and one of the payoffs of that is that you do actually buy like i don't know if these fans bought but i actually thought watching this like if i didn't know the finish of this match i could have i would have bought live me personally that that might have been the finish because that's a way nigel would win one of these pure title matches is is a count like that so i actually thought was the rare count out tease I actually enjoyed. Do you think? Do you um, think Nigel should have won that way, or would that have made Joe seem too stupid? Well, here's the interesting thing: like the end of the match, I guess we're supposed to see it because Nigel uses the robes as it's kind of like a somewhat cheap win that protects Joe. But really, by the rules of a pure match, it's a completely clean win. Like he's allowed to use the ropes. You know, there was three rope breaks. He counters the choke in a very smart way and wins. So, in a way, if you wanted to protect Joe. That would have been a, a better way, although maybe a less satisfying finish. 
Um, there was no there was no need to protect Joe. I don't think. Yeah, I, that, that, so, that's so, what I, say. I think it's more important to protect Nigel here. One thing I want to ask you, Matt. Um, first off, I just one other little thing. I did think Joe he did a fine second rope elbow, which I don't know if I've ever seen Joe do that before. I love whenever someone like Joe breaks out like a little wrinkle that you don't see often, if ever. I don't know why on this night he decided. You know what? I'm going to do like a Bret Hart second rope elbow drop, but he did it. I mean, he didn't do it exactly the way Bret did, but still, how many people ever do a second rope elbow drop, let alone Samoa Joe? So I thought that was neat. But the thing I want to ask you, Matt, is I realized after watching this match, we've seen Joe versus Nigel four times in 2005. And, you know, on through the years, I, I, we're, not, we're not idiots. We, we, we consider well, Samoa Joe to be a yourself. great wrestler. Speak for yourself. <laughs> we consider Samoa Joe to be a great wrestler. In fact, I would say 2005 Joe at his best is one of the greatest wrestlers I've ever seen. He's at his absolute peak performance. Which was Nigel mostly McGinnis. in TNA, if we're being honest, in 2005. Most, <laughs> him at his best was mostly in TNA in 2005. I'm just saying. It was. But Nigel, Nigel McGinnis, I think we would agree, is already by this point a pretty damn good wrestler. I would say even argue at his best, he's a great wrestler. These guys wrestled each other four times uh, this year. I would say that they were all good matches, but they were. I don't. Say, I wouldn't say a single one of them was a great match. And the weird thing is, if someone would say, "Oh, they must have bad chemistry," like when I watch these matches, Matt, I don't think they have bad chemistry. But for whatever reason, they just don't ha- haven't had a great match together in these four. They weren't. Uh, they no, were I mean, like, I think I have the answer. They weren't. They weren't trying to. Like <laughs> they weren't swinging for the fences. We know what it looks like when these two guys are going out there trying to have an epic match. This wasn't. They they never did. They were trying to have like interesting, like wrestling matches with kind of like unique twists and stuff on the pure rules. Three of the four matches were contested under pure title rules. Yeah. Um, at no point were they really going out there being like, we're just going to steal the show and do have the best match. I do think that at the future is now they could, they had one of the best matches. They had a really good match there. That was probably my favorite of the, of the four. Um, but the other matches, they were, they were fair. They kept it fairly simple. They just told the stories that they were going to tell. Um, so that's, that's my answer. They would later on by in like in, in Joe's farewell tour, one of the matches is against Nigel. They do a very different thing and we'll get to that. Um, you know, Maybe one day if we don't um, <laughs> if we don't die of old age first. But but yeah, I, I believe they have two more matches in early two thousand seven, and then yep. that's it for them. Yeah. But so I guess we got. We, we I know now that you you agree with me that this was not a great match, but I imagine you probably agree with me this was a good match. What did you think about it as a whole? Yeah, I definitely liked it better than their previous Buffalo match, the title change. Um, I thought that I would match, agree. I thought that match was disappointing. This match was short, so it didn't have time to really develop into anything super interesting. But it was entertaining. Like they, it was quick paced. I did like the way it started with you know Nigel cleverly getting Joe to use all of his rope breaks, even though they didn't capitalize on it enough. Like you said, I thought that was an entertaining sequence, which you know was a pretty good thing to have in a match, a fun start. And they just kept it moving. And like you know, nothing too super interesting except for that uh, that countout spot, like you mentioned. And I, and I also agree that it was interesting the way like Nigel, he really you know again, it's sort of like the Jacobs thing. Like he's a heel, but he's not he's not super dastardly. Like he's he's just like being a little bit smarmy. He does he does trick 
you know, he does, you know, kind of cheat to remove one of Joe's rope breaks, right? By like putting Joe's hand on the ropes yeah. and pointing to it. That's not totally clean sportsmanlike wrestling, but otherwise he followed the rules and he won based on the rules and he's good at the rules. And I actually thought, I think it's cool that Joe like put him over so solidly here because, you know, Joe was getting a push in TNA and he wasn't really losing that much to people who weren't like Kenta Kobashi. So the fact that Joe, you know, after taking that big loss, actually really two big losses, if you count the, the tag team, um, you know, the tag team uh, match that he was in the night after, un, uh, un, unforgettable. I feel like it's pretty cool that Joe is just willing to lose like this. Um, you know, even though, again, he's getting a big push. He's, I think he was the X Division champion in TNA at this point. Um, if he wasn't, then he was going to win it in the not-too-distant future, right? Probably maybe December he wins it, if not now. So, so, um, so I think that was cool. And I thought this was just a fun little match, which, you know, you probably, in some ways you could think it's disappointing, but after their previous match, I think that's good. Yeah. And, uh, moving on, <clears throat> we get a recap video to proceed the next match that is entitled the on-screen graphic says the genesis of gen x but the way they spelled is genesis it's capital g lowercase e capital n so i guess like generation x and then they spell gen x one word g-e-n-e-x-t i don't know if that, i don't know if that's how it was stylized ever i i don't recall that but sounds anyway, like either I, sounds like either a supplement or a cult <laughs> I, I wrote in my notes, Matt, by any other promotion standards, this would be a standard video package. By Ring of Honor standards, I think it was a great video package. It was good. It was good. It was good. It was maybe too long. And yeah. Like, I remember, I remember thinking, like, oh, it's still going? And I, and I also remember thinking, it's a lot of Matt Seidel, considering he's not in this match. But otherwise, I thought it was good. Yeah, the first half of it does a good job of showing lots of little interview clips to kind of give you some of the beats of the feud. But then, and, and, you know, it's got, you know, decent backing music track and it's got good editing of lots of neat spots. But then, yeah, it probably goes 30 to 45 seconds too long where it feels like whoever was editing, editing this decided, you know what? I've done the work. I'm just going to put every single spot these two got teams have done against each other in the last few months. Together, I'm going, to, I'm going to fill up this entire song worth of video clips, and yeah, a little long, but uh, by by Ring of Honor 2005 standards, just like Matt, you were impressed by the fact that they had backstage promos in a well lit area. I was impressed they actually had like a decent standard kind of like hype video for a match. But that brings us to the match. It was hyping up. It was a no disqualification six man tag team match. They, the call, embassy- they called it a six man war on the graphic. Ooh, a six-man war. The Embassy of Abyss, Alex Shelley, and Jimmy Rave defeated Generation Next of Austin Aries, Jack Evans, and Roderick Strong in 17 minutes, 54 seconds, when Rave pinned Aries after Aries missed a 450 and hit a ladder, and then he, and then a Rave and Nana each grabbed one end of the ladder and, like, pushed it on top of Aries and held him down with it, got the pin that way. Uh, Matt, you know, this was, they, they hyped this on the last Buffalo show. I think this was probably one of the big draws of the show was the idea that, oh, you're going to see this, these two teams kind of go crazy in a no DQ warlike situation. Uh, do you think it kind of lived up to things? I mean, what do you think as far as like a crazy gimmick match? 
Uh, well, I'll say this. So, like, I talked about how Joe and Nigel were not swinging for the fences. And, you know, this is a good reference considering they wrestle in this match in a, an, by a batting cage. But, um, I would say they kind of swung for the fences here. Like, I mean, not like, I don't think they were going for, like, the absolute peak because they were saving some stuff for the, uh, the big steel cage warfare, uh, a month and a half later. But they went for it. They were like, they were like, we are going to have a memorable, like, street fight type match here. And so they did a lot of stuff, um, and they kept it moving. Like uh, so, so Generation X, like they came dressed for a fight because, like, they were they were wearing athletic pants instead of wrestling trunks. Well, Jack Evans was wearing his the shorts he always wears. But yeah, I was gonna say, yeah. like, I love that 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 what dressing for a fight for Aries and Strong is basically what Jack Evans always wrestles. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> but um, but you know they started the match hot. You know they they did they both did a um. A double dives on Raven Shelley and Evans uh, went after Abyss in the ring, and they proceed to you know, you know brawl all over. And of course, the issue with ROH is that they have two cameras at ringside, and there are three pairs of fights going on. So they would inevitably miss some stuff, you know, because they would focus on one fight or another. It's also worth noting that Jade Chung is at ringside with Generation Next. Um, you know that they uh, Evans and Abyss when they start off there they do the spot from the night before where Evans goes for the handspring but he lands on Abyss's shoulders and Abyss does the sit down torture react thing. Does that move have a name? Uh, I maybe I maybe I don't know. There probably is, and I probably don't know it, Matt. Yeah. God damn it! Sorry, sorry for making no. you feel <laughs> inadequate. No, um, I, you know what, Matt? It made me mad because you know what? If this was the old days and in, in the bygone halcyon days of the of, of the great era of the internet, we could go to Wikipedia and it would probably the name would be there. But ever since Wikipedia years ago, for some reason, someone decided that Wikipedia pages for wrestlers can't have the names of moves. It, Matt, the internet's never been the same. Well, I didn't even realize they made that change. I, I guess I just haven't looked in years for that particular thing. But um, so the the embassy, like you know, like they, they, there's a pretty um, you know clever thing at the beginning where they they try to keep strong and Aries out of the ring so they could triple team Jack Evans, and they you know they go after him. They they use a wooden chair, which for some reason to me seems more devastating than the steel chairs we see all the time. Maybe just because it's more novel. Um, also, those chairs, they're not really made of steel, right? I don't know. Maybe they are. Um, but um, Shelly, like he does that, you know, the, the skull fuck thing with Evans on the cha- on the wooden chair. Um, eventually, Strong and Evans come back in and they, they bring a large, large, large ladder. And I think it's a pretty fun spot. They do like a tug of war with Abyss and the ladder, like just the two of them versus the one of him. And they let go and Abyss like flies into the corner with the ladder, like propped up as like a ramp on him. And both Ares and Strong run up the ladder to attack Abyss in the corner and then flapjack Shelly onto it. All this stuff so far, I think has been really good. Um, Meanwhile, Rave is alone on the outside. He gets double teamed a bit. Um, Shelly makes the save, and they start brawling all around ringside into the crowd. Um, Shelly and Strong are focused on because you know they brawled in the crowd in their first match in Buffalo back in June. Um, Aries flies from the top turnbuckle into a crossbody on Abyss on the floor. I thought that was a really good dive. And he spent some time chasing Nana and Shelly. Oh, excuse me. He spent some time chasing Nana as Shelly and Strong fight on the seats. And Shelly DDT Strong into an open chair. This had to be a lot of fun. 
um, for the crowd. But of course, the problem is, again, we don't see Raven Evans for a while. Not because they're like gone. Like for a second, I was like, did they fight to the back? But no, they're just brawling in the crowd too, but there are just not enough cameras to find them. So eventually we see them in the background, but like we don't really follow it until Abyss goes out there and then finally we see them and Abyss tosses Evans and Strong goes after Abyss with drop kicks in the crowd and you know it's 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 fun the spotlight is having a little bit of trouble following it so like we get some dark moments but it's overall I think we see most of it um back in the ring Rave hits a chair into the ladder which is resting on Strong's head in the corner which couldn't have been fun um Really kind of upsetting. Um, uh, meanwhile, Abyss is setting up a table in the crowd, and we actually get picture in picture for a while, um, which uh, Jim Ross would have really enjoyed. Um, of Abyss and Jack Evans, they're fighting in the crowd while Strong is hitting the double knees on Shelly, and Ares is going to work on Rave's knee, uh, and Strong chases Abyss out to the batting cages. And so now this is actually partially a cage match, too. It's a steel cage warfare, but the steel cage is on the outside. It actually reminds me of Uncensored 96, where they had that multi-tiered cage, but it was just, like, away from the ring and kind of dark. And, you know, so like they found another cage. They could have just done that with the batting cages. Now, this is another idea. I book a venue with a batting cage and, like, do it to have, like, this weird cage match in the batting cages. Man, I'm you know, I'm just – I need to be a booker, I guess, really. Um, laser tag – more use of batting cages in this. But speaking of batting cages, this they are involved in the most memorable spot of the match because Aries and Strong, they like double Russian leg sweep Abyss into the batting cage. They put Abyss on a table. Evans goes to the top of the cage and hits a really awesome 630 onto Abyss through the table. The crowd goes nuts. It really did look amazing. I wish it was brighter. <laughs> that would be my only uh, note. But it was... Should have been backstage. <laughs> yeah. It was It was something. Like, um, meanwhile, we see Jade Chung at ringside, and she's like, and she's clapping for the move. And Nana is in the ring, too. Um, you know, maybe they should have followed their guys. They're just watching from far away. But um, back at the ring, Ares chokes Rave with his wrist tape, calls him a piece of shit. Shelly knocks Strong into multiple tables around ringside, and then Strong hits a big backbreaker on Shelly while Raven Aries, they fight over the, uh, one of the tables. And at one point, this is, at this moment, some fan yells, Jimmy, is your new finisher the Pepsi Plunge? And I was just thinking like, yeah, kind of. That is kind of, <laughs> kind of what it was. Very, very close. Um, closer than any other possible move, right? Um, mm-hmm. so Strong, he gives backbreakers to Rave, but, onto an open chair and it breaks the chair and strong sets up two tables side by side uh, at ringside he teases power teases power bombing rave over the top rope but shelly stops it with a super kick um and shelly and strong they're fighting on the apron and shelly hits the shell shock through the tables and like it didn't hit perfectly but like that was a tough one to pull off and i would say they did a pretty damn good job with it like it looked pretty devastating um so now Nana comes in the ring, so it shows Shelly and, and, uh, and Strong are out of it. Evans and Abyss are out of it. Um, Nana comes in, and he and Rave double-team Aries. Nana hits the flying ass in the corner. Chung comes in. She low-blows Nana, quickly escapes. Uh, they fight over a move onto the ladder, but Aries gets the Finley roll onto it, goes up to the on, hit the 450 on Rave on the ladder. Nana tries to knock him off, but he fights off Nana and goes for the 450. 
Rave moves and Ares lands hard on the ladder. And then, and I think an incredibly clever finish, Nana and Rave, they both get the ladder. They hold it down on top of Ares and get the pin that way. And I thought that was a really good finish. Um, one downside is, I guess because of an incident that happens after the match, they cut away like instantly. And like, it's weird because they show like, they showed like Sterling Keenan taking his time to leave the ring, <laughs> but they have to cut away instantaneously after this like kind of dramatic match. Um, so, um, but yeah, I thought the finish was great. And I thought the whole match was a lot of fun. Like, you know, sometimes it was too dark, sometimes it meandered, whatever. But, like, really good high spots. Really good execution. It felt like they hated each other. Uh, it was super entertaining. And it, it escalated the feud. It built to, it made you want to see more of this feud. So I thought it was a, should I do another, um, another baseball analogy? If it wasn't a home run, I would say it was a solid triple with, uh, two runs batted in. I like this match, but not as much as you. If I would say maybe a double that didn't score any runs. It was like a leadoff double. Um, a, a phrase I thought of during this match was uh, the old Shakespeare phrase, uh, sound and fury signifying nothing. And I wouldn't say this match signified nothing, but what I, I felt like this match, maybe it was just the length. Or maybe maybe my expect my expectations for this match were really high because I really like all these guys. I like the idea of you know a big crazy wild match like this, and a lot of it is just like I was never bored in this match because it is something is always happening. But I felt like a lot of this match was just someone get punched at ringside, someone gets thrown to the barricade, cut to someone else getting thrown to a barricade at ringside, cut to someone. I mean that's that's a that's a brawl, you know. That, but it was like a lot of that. And it's 18 minutes of that. And there were a few big standout spots, but I kind of felt like you could have cut half of this match. Like you could have had the big, if you took like the three or four big, super big standout spots, like the, the 630 off the batting cage, the finish, stuff like that, and maybe cut out a few minutes in the middle of just random brawling. Like you said, meandered at times to me, maybe the meandering parts bothered me a little bit more than you. I still thought this was a good match and enjoyed it, but I just thought it was stretched out longer than it should have been. I did like you like the start where, you know, it's Jack Evans is isolating the ring and Shelly and Rave are double teaming him. And Abyss is basically playing like prevent defense where he's just, standing around the ropes and just anytime I mean Aries or uh, Roderick try and get in the ring he's like attacking to make sure they can't get it I liked all that you know the big spots were neat it just was also a little too much of just kind of one note brought 18 minutes is a lot if you don't have a lot of stuff to fill it in And, and it can get kind of exhausting where it's just cut 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 but like you I also agree that um I thought, you know, as far as indie brawls and Ring of Honor brawls go, I think they did a better job than usual lighting and keeping up with it. But but like you were saying, I do think there's there still at times they struggled a little bit. But maybe like how you were grateful that they just shot promos in a well-lit area. I was kind of grateful that like, oh, they, they caught most of that. And we even got, like you mentioned, a few mi- uh, like a minute of picture in picture, which I was like, wow. Like between that video package and this, they really went the extra mile for this match. Um, the, the production thing I did not like, Matt, 
was and it, I it, it happens throughout the night, but you really start to notice it here. Is their audio mix that you noticed was just terrible? Where anytime the crowd got loud, you could not hear the commentary. I think it was a combination of the audio mix being bad, and like Prezak, and I love Dave Prezak. He sometimes during these ROH shows can be so subdued. Like, just, like, very chill. Like, even during, like, major matches. And I'm just like, I don't know, maybe crank up the energy a little bit. I think probably part of it was they would have them record commentary for, like, a bunch of DVDs on the same day. And I maybe this one was near the end and he was just tired. But I think I think that is a little bit part of it. Like, I think it's mostly the audio mix. But I also do think it's part of, like, the volume of the commentators themselves. Yeah, if you uh, – that Between the Sheets ep- episode with Lenny Leonard on that podcast, uh, Lenny talks I, – I forget all the details, but he basically talks about how, like how they would be exhausted because they would basically pull all-nighters and record a you know, couple shows in a row – you know, in a little tiny room. And I think even like they, they were in like the, the room of the guy who owned FIP Sal or whatever, like in his house, but they were like, his family was sleeping and stuff like, like, like it was, it was not a good <laughs> so situation. So they were like, make sure, make sure you whisper on this wrestling commentary. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it, it, it sounds like, like the way he talked about, like there was times where the, having to keep the energy up was like, you know, it was not – if you imagine someone post-producing commentary where like they're coming in at like 3 o'clock and they have to record commentary for one show you know, and they're feeling fresh as a daisy and they haven't done anything else that day. This was not – typically Ray Varf from the way he describes it, it was not that kind of situation usually. It was you know, you're trying to stay up when you've probably been doing a lot of things and – but anyway, either way – um Good match, and one thing I do like is I always love variety on shows. So I love that we, uh, you know, inventive finish, like you said, I love anytime you get like a little bit of everything. So having one kind of crazy gimmick brawl where, you know, you got to see the ladders and and the wooden chairs, like you mentioned, Matt. I noticed when they went from the crowd, everyone was had wooden chairs, like – would you want to? Do you think a wooden chair would be more comfortable than a metal chair? Like, I'm trying to wonder. Like, would I want to sit in a wooden chair? Hmm. I mean, depends on. I mean, it just depends on the, how the chair is made. Like, yeah. I, I, I mean, I've, I've I've sat in wooden chairs that were more comfortable. I've sat in metal chairs that were more comfortable. I think on a cold day, I'd rather the wooden chair because the metal can get cold um, more than wood. Um, but uh, yeah, it also I would it would need to be a, a wooden chair that wasn't falling apart because those can be like, you know, splintery and stuff. There, there, also, there was that one spot where they they had the ladder leaned up against Abyss, and Roderick runs up and like hits Abyss, and then Ares tries to run up the ladder and he trips and falls, and I felt so bad because I felt like that would have been me, like like trying to do this really difficult thing and just eating shit. Like, like for him, that's like a rare thing. Cause he's a very good athlete and a nimble wrestler. For me, that's like, would have been the exact predicted outcome of that. <laughs> I was yes. like, Aw. The one, the one um, big, the one big disagreement I would have with you about this is that I would say, I think a higher percentage of this match was creative, interesting, memorable spots than you're giving credit for. I don't think it was so much of the meandering brawling. I think we see that in a lot of like ROH brawls. And I think this one had, a lower percentage of that than we see a lot. I think there was there was a lot of pretty 
interesting, clever stuff between the finish, the tug of war with the ladder, the batting cages, the backbreakers on the chairs, the um, the shell shock through the tape. Like there was a lot of like good, memorable stuff. And the other thing I do want to give credit for, I really do think Abyss was awesome here. Like I just think he played his part perfectly between but between the the big moves he did, taking the big spot near the end. I think that he he is a great addition to this whole thing. And I thought it was good that they had like Jack take him out with that big six thirty. Like they book Abyss so strong that they almost kind of protect him, like so that he doesn't even have to be involved in the final minutes of the match. And they give the, you know that spot's a great way right. to take out a big strong monster out of a match. I, I would say going to your point, I probably am undering this match a little bit. I, I think it, it was funny when I was listening to you do a really great job of recapping the match. Like I felt like listening to you, I was like. This match sounds better than I remember it being, and I just watched it in this last week. Like, on, you just hearing you describe it, and part of me wonders, like, I do think this was a match, for. So, I was really excited to rewatch this match, and I just think I remembered it being, like, great, mm-hmm. and maybe I'm just more, maybe it's one of those matches where if I didn't have the high expectations coming in, I would have liked it more. Maybe I was kind of unfairly expecting something, a level. I was expecting a home run, Matt, and maybe, maybe I actually did get a triple, but I thought I was going to see a home run. But Yeah, um, I was, I'm very curious to see how Steel Cage Warfare holds up because I actually remember, and I was there live, not necessarily loving it as much as some people did. And I'm curious to see which match I end up liking better between this one and that one. But, you know, we're not too far away, away from it, so yeah. we'll get there soon enough. Yeah, I'm really excited to uh, revisit that too. Um, so, and then Matt, you did allude to there being an incident after this match, and I've got multiple reports about that incident because we got another classic off-camera Ring of Honor fan incident. So, we'll first go to the Observer. Um, Melcher wrote there was an incident with a fan in the six-man tag. Someone hit Roderick Strong from behind. Strong came back and hit the guy with a forearm to the face, and the guy was taken out by security. During intermission, the fan was still having words with people, and Joe went out there, and I don't know exactly what happened, but he physically escorted the guy out. And there was no more situations after that. We got one report from someone who saw the incident and felt the company was at fault, although acknowledging the fan started it. Joe said that he took care of something, and once you put your hands on a wrestler in a physically threatening way, you violated your rights as a fan. Gabe Sapolsky said it was nothing that didn't happen all the time in ECW, but it was the first time it happened in Ring of Honor and felt it was no big deal. Uh, next, we'll go to the PW Torch, where, where their reporting of it was as thusly. Uh, during the tag match featuring Jimmy Ray, blah, 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 a fan at ringside hit strong. That fan then got into an argument after the match with Ring of Honor trainee Bobby Dempsey. Dempsey got Samoa Joe from the back, who stormed out to the ring and threw the fan to the ground and yelled at him. A number of other Ring of Honor wrestlers came to ringside, and eventually Sapolsky and security dragged the fan out of the building. And then finally, Matt, this last, I got this one line from a live report from a Justin Parker. And I just like this because this can't, we, this, there has to be more to it than this, clearly from the other two, but I just love to imagine that this is all it was. <laughs> um, during intermission, there was a scuffle between a fan that hit Roderick Strong during the previous match. It started with this fan arguing with Ring of Honor trainee Bobby Dempsey. The kid said that wrestling was fake, and Dempsey ran in to get Samoa Joe. I love. I would love if everything just was the, was that simple. The fan just said, "Hey, Bobby, wrestling is fake," and he went, "Oh shit, I gotta get Joe." I would, I would love it was just that. Uh, Joe, 
<laughs> this guy thinks wrestling is fake. <laughs> this Ring of Honor fan. I, I do like it, Matt, that uh, Gabe's defense was this happened in ECW all the time. Like, to me, that is never defense of human behavior. Like, this happened in ECW all the time is like, oh, that's probably not a good thing then. No, but I am, but I am sympathetic to the notion, like, if a fan tries to attack one of the performers – they have given up some of their rights as a fan. Like I, I think that, I mean, what in what sort of um, what other entertainment medium is a fan allowed to get away with putting their hands or assaulting one of the performers? No, I would say. I'm not a fan of wrestlers attacking fans. Uh, ideally, every promotion would have dedicated security to deal with this, so they wouldn't have – the onus shouldn't be on Samoa Joe to evict a fan from the building. No. I understand Ring of Honor probably did not have the budget for dedicated security. I mean, Ring of Honor had security people. 100 percent they did. Like they, There wasn't a big team of them, though. They maybe couldn't be everywhere at all times. Yeah, it just feels like this is the second or third story in 2005 of Samoa Joe personally evicting a fan from the building, which feels like that should not be – Joe should not be taking it on himself, you know, just for a variety of reasons, probably like legal, safety, just appearance-wise. Yeah, it might not It might not be wise. It's yeah. not, it's not, it's, it doesn't sound like he did anything that I find to be immoral though. No, I, I I will say like it's kind of the thing where even though I don't agree with the idea of like beating up a fan or something, I it's one of those things where I also don't feel sympathy. Like if you touch a wrestler, I'm not saying that like you forfeit all rights to being treated as a human being. No, but you forfeit rights to be present at the show that you are at. Yes, and, and I do feel like if you do get smacked, like I don't feel necessarily a ton of sympathy for you. It doesn't sound like Joe like beat the crap no. out of him or anything. Though. I mean, one person said that, so, I mean, especially if one guy said that, uh, he, that he actually physically hit Roderick strong. Like if you're, if you're hitting a fan, I mean, a wrestler, you know, and you know, that's, that's the danger of, of crowd brawling is occasionally you get, when wrestlers are in the crowds, occasionally you get a fan that just feels like if you're in the crowd that I have licensed to touch you, even sometimes hit you which right seems some people some people are crazy some people yeah. are dumb some people are drunk some people are all three and that could be a recipe for somebody doing something like that occasionally yeah uh so now it is intermission and dave prezak is backstage with brian danielson prezak brings up steve Carino, saying that he wanted the ring of honor title for power and he asks brian for his thoughts and then brian says Wow, that was hard to digest because you talk so loud. <laughs> Which is see- the opposite com- opposite thing I just complained about, about Prezak's commentary, right? Yeah, and you can see Prezak kind of like react like quickly the camera moves away from him, but like kind of smiles. But like it felt like a very real comment. And, definitely, um, definitely was a real comment. Uh, Brian says, uh, Creo probably wants money, power. Girls from being Ring of Honor champ. I just thought to myself, <laughs> I don't know if you can get women from being Ring of Honor champ in two thousand five. Um, a couple, says, maybe maybe there are like three or four that you could get. <laughs> Brian says it's not about really being Ring of Honor champ. Isn't about that. It's about getting to do what you want. It, it, for Brian, it means you don't have to work an eight minute match or a three minute match or do a bunch of backflips. He gets to do what he wants to do. He says if Creo can beat him for the title tonight, it's great. You know, Creo then can use the title. For whatever he wants, but to Brian, it represents freedom. Ironically, ironically, power. in almost every one of his matches, he does do a backflip. Yeah. <laughs> and then Prezak throws to the ring, and as he d- does that, Brian tugs on a shirt and whispers a plug for PWG wrestler Scott Lost, whose and shirt that, he's that, wearing. Right, he's wearing a Scott yeah. Lost shirt. Yes. So two nights in a row, 
Brian is like snuck in like PWG t-shirt plugs in because the last show was Top Gun Talwar. This night it, it Scott lost adorable little Brian Danielson. Matt, um, the thing I didn't like about this promo was that one line about how here I don't have, I'm not told to work an eight minute match or a three minute match. Like to me, that's getting too, too shooty. Like, like if someone, you could, you could argue the backflips thing. You could say, ah, oh, someone said, Hey, if you work, wrestle this match, try and work in some flips if you can. But so, but when you're saying like, Oh, I'm not told to go only three minutes that at that point we're like going out, out of the like, the kayfabe world, you know, it, it becomes at the point you're kind of going shooty. And I just, I, I don't, I, I realized that a big part of ring of honor selling point at this time. And with, they're trying to do it with Brian's point too, was the idea of we don't have to wrestle with limitations. We're not, you know, being agented to death or doing things a certain way. But I just thought that was getting a little too ham fisted there. I mostly agree with what you're saying. I, it didn't bother me probably to the degree, but to the, to the degree it bothered you, but I agree with your point. And so that brings us to the Ring of Honor tag t- team title match. Sal Renaro and Tony Mamaluke successfully defend the titles when they defeat the Rottweilers of Homicide and Ricky Reyes in 19 minutes, 39 seconds when Sal pinned Reyes after hitting a springboard crossbody press. Um, so there's no, if you wonder, well, that seems like an awfully random match. There was a reason for this match, which was if you, people probably forget this, even if you listen to our episode covering this many moons ago, but on the trios tournament, the team that won technically, the, there was a prize where every member got to book themselves any match they wanted for a future show. Homicide up to this point before the show was the only member of his team that actually used it. He used it to uh, book himself the a world title shot against Austin Aries at the best of the American Super Junior show. Romero and Reyes had not worked enough to even book themselves. So the idea behind this match is, yes, Reyes and Homicide are getting a tag team title shot out of n- relatively nowhere, but technically it's because Reyes is using his book yourself a match step to get a shot at the tag team titles. Um, I felt like this was a match in desperate need of any kind of hook, Matt. I, I and even 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 Taz's son that would have been a welcome surprise. Oh, here. that's the best kind of hook. What are you talking exactly. about? Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, this, this is where I really felt like Sal and Tony were being thrown into the deep end because their team has no character except for two random guys who got thrown together and won the tag titles in their first team. They have no set in-ring style. If anything, they kind of clash personality and in-ring-wise. There's no feud or storyline to this match. There's no real emotional stakes to this match. It's just there because of the Reyes thing. And some teams can make that work. You know, some teams, you could say, got 20 minutes, you got real – no characters, you're not really even defined as a face or a heel team. Just go nuts and have a, a great match. And they could just have a show-stealing match. I like Mama Luke. I like Sal Renaro. I don't think they were – I don't think it's I, – I don't mean this as a huge criticism. They were not a team that could do that and have a 20-minute show-stealer out of nothing. Um the way I, I see this match is there was a long section at the start where Mamluk basically wrestles Reyes and Homicide on his own with a lot of decent mat wrestling, and I just wrote, it's fine. And then there's a long section where Sal is the face in peril, and Sal's good at taking a beating. I wrote, it's fine. Then there's the final minutes where it feels like the match is trying to have a hot finish, but it's full of all these minor awkward moments where no one seems 
to know quite what to do. Like everything just seems a little bit off. It feels like four guys that just are on different pages. At one point, Tony is actually walking towards the middle of the ring. It seems like he's going to do something. And then he just decides, you know what? I'm not going to do something. And he just walks himself back to the apron, back through the ropes. And just, the match was full of little things like that. Um, Reyes gets Sal in his dragon sleeper he's been squashing everyone with. And Sal gets his arm up after the first time the ref drops it. And then Tony stomps Reyes to break it up. And Prezek on commentary says it like Sal was completely knocked out cold and he was going to lose if not for that stomp. When, when Sal got his arm up on the very first try, which I thought was like a weird, rare time that this commentary team is kind of like not like missing the mark on something. Um, and then I felt like the end of the match, like the final few minutes, they were trying to do bigger spots, but I felt like it, there's just something about the match really felt off in those final minutes, particularly like at the very end, Sal wins with just a relatively tame move, like just a springboard cross body. Like I, I felt like that was kind of out of nowhere for the finish. Um, the match quality wise, like it's, it's a, it's an average match. It's, it's fine. There's nothing really wrong with it i mean there's wrong in in a sense there's like i said there's some awkward moments i just feel like you could just it just feels like you can feel how purposeless this team is and this match was Uh, there's not really much momentum behind anything that's happening here i would say yeah you know what you were talking about with expectations so like the expectations for me game like work differently for me in this match because I, you know, know this wasn't the hottest crowd, and I knew, like, I looked up that this match was going to go 19 minutes, and I was like, oh, God, this match is going to be dreadfully dull, and I did not think it was dreadfully dull, and in that sense, I sort of thought it was pretty decent. Like, I, um, I didn't, you know, like, it was, like you said, they certainly wasn't a show-stealing match, but it moved along, and I wasn't bored, and I was pretty entertained, um, and I thought, you know, the crowd was quiet, but they were attentive, um, I I was surprised by how much I didn't dislike this match. I guess is what I would say. <laughs> they had they had pretty well defined roles, you know, which sometimes you don't get in this era of ROH. Sometimes you're like, are they being the face? Are they being the heel? Like, especially because you know, Mamaluke and Renaro, they've sort of had undefined roles, and like they get to be the baby faces here for sure. And I thought they did pretty good, like. You know, like the whole amateur match stuff that they that Mamaluke and Reyes do at the beginning. I really like that. And I also enjoyed that um, when Homicide came in, Mama Luke worked him a little differently than he worked Reyes. It wasn't as much as the amateur-style stuff. And I actually thought Reyes looked better here than he has in a while because he gets to sort of play a role in this match as the team's technical guy instead of trying to be like Mr. Dominant Badass um, who squashes everybody. I think he's much better in this role than he is at that one. And, you know, Homicide gets to provide the charisma for his team. So, you know, Reyes didn't have to carry that load. So I actually thought it worked pretty well um, in that in that sense. And I also like that Mamaluke was winning all of those mad exchanges with the with the Rottweilers. You know, so so the so the um the Rottweilers had to, you know, change course a little bit. And um you know, like I said, not everything was perfect. Like they the Renaro and Mamaluke, they work on Homicide's arm for a while and then Homicide just like avoids a move, hits an ace crush on Renaro, and then just sort of like walks over to Reyes and tags him in. There's really no drama there. Um but they do some hot sequences. There's like there's one like and that that ends with Homicide doing the Havana Pitbull spot where he pulls Renaro down like by the legs near the ring post so Reyes can hit a basement drop kick. 
And then they slowed things down. They worked on Renaro's neck for a long time. Um, you know, Homicide keeps cutting off any momentum he gets. Homicide puts Renaro over his knee, and Reyes comes off with the with the leg drop. You know, some good stuff. Gets some very loud strikes to Renaro, yanks him around by the hair. Like, they're really abusing Renaro. Um, gets, gets a lot of good moves and stuff. Um, but, and then when Renaro hits that top rope Rana, they, they do a pretty decent hot tag spot. Again, the crowd is not hot for this, but I do think that they care. Like, I do think they're paying attention, and Mamaluke does a good job, like, working like a hot tag, and you know, get dropping Homicide on his head, hitting the frog splash, getting the Fujiwara armbar. Um, like you said, they, they do pick up things near the end. Um, there are some issues with, like, tag rules and legal man stuff that get confusing, but I thought the... Um, but I thought that the um, the spots they did at the end worked well. I do think that um, the, the the dragon sleeper spot. I think it would have worked better if the matches where Reyes was dominating with that move had been out on DVD by this point. You know, which they they definitely yeah. weren't. So I think on in that in in that sense, I think that um, you know maybe the crowd wasn't as you know up on what that meant. But yeah, I thought that the, I thought the match was was pretty entertaining, considering that, like you said, there was no hook. Um, the Reyes and uh, I mean not Reyes, uh, Renaro and Mama Luke didn't exactly have a ton of momentum. But I thought, considering it was a twenty minute match with no hook, um, I thought they did a pretty good job. And I would I would define this match as pretty good. Which, you know, maybe you want something better from that after 20 minutes, but I was okay with it because I expected it to be less than that. Yeah, uh, you you made me question myself in the last match. I, I, I'm I still going to go <laughs> with a basic average for this. You did not make me question it. This, you're, you're one for two, Matt. One thing did you, I was going to ask, did you notice, is it felt like at points during this match, the crowd was behind Renaro and Sal, and then late, it might have even been that Dragon Sleeper, it felt like the crowd decided, you know what we actually want to see? It'd be cool if we saw a title change, a tag title change tonight, and then they kind of switched over, because at the very end, when Sal wins, like, the crowd actually kind of boos, <laughs> like, the, it's funny, because they, there were spots, like, with the hot tags and stuff, where they were behind Sal and Tony, but it was kind of like they changed their minds, and they were like, you know what, we want to see a tag title change. I feel like that happens a lot in this kind of promotion, where they you know, a lot of the matches are about the quality of the match and less about the attachment to the characters. Yeah. And at that point, it just becomes like, yeah, let's see something that's notable, that's memorable, yeah. that that, that uh, has an impact and uh, and stands out. And so I've actually I've actually noticed that a few times through the years <laughs> that um, <laughs> that people um, you know will will cheer the baby face, but then they'll cheer the moment more than that. Um, but they did not get the moment. There was no memorable moment in this match, not a single memorable <laughs> moment in this match. That I will agree with. Next, we have Jim Cornette in the same office. He recorded the video that, that appeared on the last show. And just like the last show, he apologizes for not being able to clear a schedule to make it to Buffalo. And then he says, in recent months, world title matches at times in Ring of Honor have been made due to challenges accepted out of anger and not because they were the top contender for the title. Cornette is reinstating the top five rankings. Jim says the way you get in the top five is, is a great win-loss record. There'll be no more cowboy challenges is how he says that. Matt, uh, Ring of Honor, like, 
they're constant in the first few years going back to some form of, of rankings. It's always like Charlie Brown and the football. Like uh, they keep trying. It never works out. And I thought it's like, I know what's coming. Like, here's the crazy thing. Like, like Cornet saying here from now on, you know, every match, you know, the, the, it's no more cowboy challenges. Brian Danielson is in the middle of an open challenge where like we, we know on the next few shows, Chris Saban's going to get a ring of honor world title match. Without ever, like, he maybe worked in Ring of Honor once or twice before this. Marafuji, Chris Hero, all coming up. Yeah, it literally contradicts the main world title storyline they have going. Yeah, yeah. So this idea that like, oh, and, and I think you know, even guys like Jimmy Yang, like he's going to win like one or two matches after losing a bunch and get a world title shot. Yeah, like, no, no, they they don't they don't stick to this at all. Like, not even a little. Yeah. I think they do list top five. Um, but no, this is not something that actually is uh, put in is implemented. It's, it's so yeah, this was a uh, dumb way to go, and I feel like they must have changed their mind from when Jim Cornette recorded this to when the DVD came out. But they kept it on the DVD anyway. It's just funny because they were like on this show that that, that you know in two matches from from Cornette's promo, we're getting a match where Steve Carino is getting a world title shot when he hadn't wrestled apart from that tag match the night before in Ring of Honor for months and months. Brian and Danielson, getting- Brian Danielson got a title shot in his first match back after losing, and that match was not done in anger. That was just like Ring of Honor promoters saying we wanted Brian Danielson back and we wanted a title shot, so we gave it to him. Yeah. No, nope, this was you know, not. This was a nonsense promo that was completely. The context just completely invalidated the, any point that it was making. Yeah, like it, it's a it's a thing where um, we see a lot of times with Ring of Honor on through the years, like they uh, they will try like the refs paying attention to the legal men more or or ranking systems in the past, and they'll stick with it for a few shows really strictly, and then slowly they'll lose it. But this was an example where it's even a step beyond that, because I was like, you're in the middle of doing something that contradicts this. Like, it's not even like they stick to it for a few shows. Like, I know you've got shows booked coming up, like the Chris Saban match, and just like two or three shows away, like, that contradicts what you're announcing here. Like, it just yeah, it's just weird. But... Going to something that might have been weird in a different way, low-key defeating Colt Cabana, Colt Cabana via pitfall in 20 minutes, 34 seconds, after he hit a top-rope double stomp. Matt, this is, you know, this match could go a couple different ways. I mean, you've got probably the most serious wrestler on the entire roster against the most comedic semi-main event with a lot of time. How do you think this match went? I'm really curious, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is another thing where it's like expectations play a role. Um, so this match is probably not what you would hope for when you have two great wrestlers like this. Um, but you also know it's a style clash. Um, I guess what I would say is this match wasn't good, but I liked a lot of it. Um, that's kind of what I would say. I liked the first 10 minutes. I thought that it made no sense that it went so much longer than that, considering they seemed to have no plan to do much. Um, but the first 10 minutes, basically the deal was Cabana wrestled his match. He, like, he got silly with Loki, and it worked for me. <laughs> like, because, you know, the crowd was just sort of like, they were very quiet, but would just like laugh every once in a while. And that's sort of what I was like. Because, like, Cabana was just like trying to like undercut Loki's whole serious guy persona, and 
break low-key, and it worked a bunch of times. So, like, he starts off right on the way to the ring. He just he looks at Loki from the crowd. He's like, Loki, you're so happy. You're just so you're so happy. <laughs> and Loki is just standing there. And then he, he starts doing – he starts mocking Loki's, like, fighting stance. And Loki just, like – he, like, he laughs. Like, he, like he, he smirks a bunch of times, and it's very charming. I actually I, – this might be the image for the show, although I don't think it will show up on good on, like, people's phone screens and stuff. But actually, like, I paused it and I framed by framed it just to try and find – like, you can find, like, Loki doing the it, – it, it's very hard to see, but you can see him doing the – like, he's trying really hard not to smile and it's breaking <laughs> through. Like, he can't yeah. help himself. Yeah. And it's like, how rare is that to get, like, Loki to, like, break like that? Yeah, like, I mean, literally the only time I've ever seen it yeah um you know and he starts doing his you know like loki will then start trying to do moves and get serious but then and he'll like do a little mocking of cabana by doing the strut but you know that so like so they start getting into like some more serious wrestling quickly but cabana puts a stop to that he he starts doing like a hammerlock with an abdominal stretched style leg hook and then he starts doing like a little wiggle with his leg. So Loki bites Cabana's leg and then bites Cabana's fingers. And I was like, okay, like this is, I guess this is the silly version of Loki where he's biting, right? Because, because I yeah. think they're trying to make it out like Loki's a madman. He's scary, but it's just kind of funny. Like in the context <laughs> of this match that he's biting him. And, and then, uh, so, so Cabana gets his own wrist lock. Um, and the fans like, don't stoop to Loki's level. And Cabana's like, I won't stoop to your level. And he, and he gets Loki in the wrist lock and he's like, I won't stoop to your level, Loki. So he doesn't bite Loki's fin- um, fingers. And then, um, Loki, even like he takes over with a covertly landed slap to the nuts, which, you know, even that's kind of funny, right? Like coming from Loki. Yeah. Um, he does the Colt Cabana thing where he like points to the, to the ceiling, like look up there. Yeah. He does a Colt Cabana spot, and Colt falls for it, and then he, like nut taps him. Yeah, which I, I've I've been enjoying, and you know, <laughs> and you know, Colt at different points he does the yabba dabba do knee drop on Loki, and um, at one point he he like he's grabbing Loki's ears, and Loki tells the ref do something about my ears, and Cabana responds, God should have done something about your ears. <laughs> He also then does like a one man like rowboat spot where he's like splitting Loki's legs with his feet and then he like while doing that yanks at Loki's ears and Loki tries to break that up by sticking his fingers up Colt Cabana's nose and then wiping the boogers on him. That's that's literally something that happened. You know, and then, and then, and then Loki tries to do the same thing to Cabana, that, 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 that split move, but Loki is too much shorter than Cabana. So he's a, and then he gets frustrated with that. Um, so like, we're like 10 minutes in and then we're still at the, at the goofy comp comedy part of the match. And then eventually Loki finally just slows it all the way down. He gets a body scissor. He's like, you ain't dancing now, punk. And I was thinking like, no, punk is the other guy in the stable, but, um, he, uh, you know, and, and then it gets very slow. This part of the match is kind of dull, and it's the part where they like are slowly building to something, except they don't really build to anything because just randomly in a not super exciting part of the match, um, the actually I will I, so I did skip one, which is probably the high spot as far as moves. Um, a cabana goes up top, but Loki catches him and like 
He gets him like over the top rope, like laying down stomach first across the top turnbuckle, and Loki stands on Cabana's back, jumps up, and then drops down with a double stomp. So I, and he gets a two count. I would say like as far as like exciting wrestling moves, that's the highlight of the match. Yeah. Um, but like, there's not a lot of those. And then just randomly, homicide appears. He limps down the aisle with a microphone. He calls Cabana the W word that sounds kind of like the N word, and says he's not Loki's bitch. Cabana's CM Punk's bitch. And then he, um, and then Key uses that as a distraction to dropkick Cabana from behind, hit the top rope, double stomp, and get the win. So homicide got his revenge. Um, I guess. Uh, I, you know, I guess what you could argue about this match that's problematic about it is they're building up this intense feud and they do not have an intense match at all. Um, but yeah. at the same time, the match the day before wasn't super intense either. And I guess you could argue that in Cabana's part, the intensity has not really ratcheted up yet at this stage of the feud. I think it makes less sense for Homicide since he was so mad at after that first segment at the last show in Buffalo. Um, but... From Cabana's point of view, I don't think – I think it makes sense from his character that he's still not taking it so seriously, and it's not like it was a personal issue for Loki. I think I would have just liked this match more if it was just the first 10 minutes and then Homicide came out. I think the second 10 minutes of the match were essentially pointless and kind of boring. But I I did like the comedy stuff more than I expected. I have to say I thought it was funny. I pretty much agree with you. Like I, I The way I would put it about this match is like – I can see why people would hate this match. I didn't hate it. Um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with ex- expectations because I feel like, yeah, if you ex- you look on this p- match on paper and you see Colt Cabana and Loki are two guys hip- capable of having really great straight-up wrestling matches and you see they get 20 minutes, if you're expecting like a great wrestling match, you're going to be sorely, dis- sorely disappointed. If you're expecting, knowing that this is you know part technically part of the Cabana, Rottweiler's homicide feud, you're expecting like a really heated thing, you're going to be disappointed. But I, I, I feel like what if you could appreciate what we got, which is like, I feel like to really appreciate this match, like maybe we're in a position to appreciate it more than most people because the novelty of low key being as goofy as low key gets, like we've seen a lot of low key and we've, you know, we know that this is incredibly rare. Like you, like you were saying, I don't, you don't think you've ever seen him break, you know, I I don't think I have either before. Like definitely not, definitely not mid match. Yeah, and I feel like for us, there's a lot of entertainment value in that. I feel like for someone that maybe does not have so much experience watching these guys, maybe you go, okay, there's some goofy comedy spots. Who who gives a shit? It's, it's still not a great match. But for I think for someone like you or me, it's like, oh, there's like a fun novelty to this, and that made that made it enjoyable to me. I agree that um, the first ten minutes is in. It, it was weird. Like it's twelve minutes of just kind of. A little chain wrestling and comedy, and then just when they start doing some action, then Loki immediately slows it back down with like an extended um, body scissors portion, and then only in the final few minutes they're like, okay, let's do some spots, like let's try and do something more exciting. That's where like the big double stomp you mentioned it comes up and, and that stuff. And I felt it was almost jarring because it was like they spent so much of the match being very like low stakes and like low action that when you do like 15, 14, 15 minutes of the match that way, doing that much of a match that way. And then the final few minutes to try and kick it up. It was like, they try instead of doing like a beginning middle and an end, they did like a beginning, 
then another beginning, and then they tried to do an end, and it was just kind of like – I was like, whoa, this is kind of jarring to that, me. That's why I said they should have just even tried to skip the high spots and just went right to the finish. Do a, do the comedy match, go to the finish. Yeah, and, and again, expectations. I could see people going, this is the semi-main event, and it does kind of feel like a house show match. Like I've never seen the fabled Owen Hart house show matches where he would – you know, Dave Meltzer and, and Mick Foley have talked about them where he would like just do complete goofy comedy and take huge bumps for like getting hit with a bag of popcorn and stuff like that. And this match isn't that goofy, but I felt it was kind of – Maybe like the ROH equivalent of on paper, this seems like a really good match. And instead, it's just go- more goofy than you would expect and more like low stakes and laid back than you would expect from a match in this yeah. position and this role. But like I wrote in my notes and like you already mentioned, but like if you ever want to like this is what this is going to determine whether you like this match or not. How much do you want? How how badly do you want to see low key counter move by sticking his finger up somebody's nose? And, like if that's and seems, wiping the snot on him. <laughs> exactly. Like if you're like, I want to see that. You will probably get a kick out of this match. If you're like, who gives a shit? You're not going to. This match is not going to be for you because that's th- those kind of moments. I I feel like are where the enjoyment of this match comes from. Like if I had to give this match a star rating, it'd be like a flat three stars maybe. And that's a song who got the novelty, enjoyed the novelty of that stuff. The, the, the one thing I want to complain about at the end, the, the homicide. And I, I, you know, I've talked before, I'm not against interference or distraction finishes in matches. I, I think there's a place for them in wrestling. And I get the symmetry of, you know, Colt made Homicide lose in New York to Jack Evans by getting on the mic and distracting Homicide. And so Homicide basically does the same thing here. I think you were kind of suggesting this, and I agree. It seems out of character for Homicide to try and do, like, a mind games thing. Like, I mean, far be it for me to tell Homicide how what his character should do. He knows his character better than I do. But, I mean, everything about Homicide always, to me, suggests that, like, when Homicide is pissed at you, he's not getting on the mic and being like, yo, you're CM Punk's bitch. He's the kind of guy, like, when he feud with Steve Carino, he put a fork in his eyeball. Like, he doesn't seem like the guy's like, I'm going to talk to you on the mic and distract you. Like, that seems like a little bit low stakes for for Homicide. I, I just felt like it was a little bit off. And, and especially having that kind of finish in a match that was already very, you could say, if you in a certain way, underwhelming. I don't know. Like, but but either no matter what, like, I again, I got into some entertainment out of this match. I agree with you. It was too long. But I will also say it's one of those matches where giving the review, I will warn, you know, I will warn people. If you don't feel a certain way, which I think we've kind of made clear, you will probably hate this match. You'll, you'll be, just be bored through it. Um, so after that, let's see. That brings us finally just to the main event. We're at the main event. Uh, the, I don't know why I'm surprised by that. The Ring of Honor world title match brian danielson successfully defends his world title when he defeats steve carino via submission in 24 minutes 13 seconds when he makes steve carino tap out to the crossface chicken wing um in my opinion this was the match of the show i would call this like a high good low very good like maybe like three three quarter stars match like i wouldn't quite call it great i i liked it a fair bit i would say this is a match it's funny um in style, I think it's different than a lot of Danielson matches of this era. In substance, like the actual moves they do, it's not. And I, I guess how I would describe it is this match kind of has more of a heavyweight kind of wrestling match feel. Like, um, Carino 
it, it's it uh, um Danielson does a lot less mat work and submission work than he uh, usually does in matches in this era. It's a lot more strike exchanges and like just kind of slams and those kinds of moves. And maybe because it's just the way Crino wrestles, there's a lot more we do an exchange and then we kind of pause and just sell or stare off at each other for a while. Like it's a bit of more of a deliberate pace, but in a way I think works. It does feel again, like more of like a, a classic heavyweight style match than more of like a, all the bells and whistles junior match. And I do like the, the tone that Creo took in this match because Steve Creo in ring of honor is a guy that I feel like there's two Creos. There's, Serious big match, Carino, and there's kind of like, I'm going to goof off a lot. I'm in the undercard. I'm going to interact with the crowd a lot. And he does interact with the crowd a little bit when they kind of get on him. But this is more serious big match, Carino, where the, you, you can tell this match meant something to him. Um, you know, he doesn't have his personal re-announcer, Brian Regal, read off any funny lists for this match. You, you, might, you, might, you might say that introduction was a little bit listless. <laughs> um. Come on, that was good. In, <laughs> in fact, um, on the Ring of Honor Newswire before this match, they pointed out something that Steve had written in his own live journal about this match. Uh, the Newswire wrote, here's what Steve Creator wrote about this Saturday's match against Brian Daniels in his live journal. Quote, this weekend I returned to Ring of Honor for the first time in seven months. I am really looking forward to getting in the ring with American Dragon on Saturday night in Buffalo. Buffalo was always great to me in ECW, and it will be my first time back since ECW. Plus, I've wanted to wrestle, wrestle Dragon one-on-one -on -one since 2002, but it just never worked out. I have studied Ring of Honor boot, bootlegs of his matches. Only kidding. I bought them of Dragon, and this could be one of the best matches of my life. Now, I would not say this is one of Carino's best matches of his life, but again, I think you can tell watching this match that it really did mean something. Like, he was trying to have a really, really good match. Um, there's a hot start where uh, Carino just charges at Danielson, and Danielson runs back at him, and Carino, like, takes him out with a really good uh, lariat. And then he immediately hits his finisher, the Northern Lights Bomb, for a two-count, and Danielson rolls to the floor. My problem with that would be kind of like the Nigel-Joe match, where that's a really interesting way to start a match, and I feel like the rest of the match, they don't really wrestle it any differently. Like, d they wrestle the match, the rest of the match, back and forth. Like, Danielson's not really that much the worse for wear for taking his opponent's finisher in the opening seconds. In fact, he'll kick out of the finisher a second time late in the match. What I guess I would say this match isn't great, why it's just very good, is again, I feel like the actual content of this match, like the moves, it's kind of just their offense done well. Like, I don't think there's a lot of interesting wrinkles. There's not really a, a big story to this match. Like, again, I feel like that opening is the most interesting part and the tone of it. But in terms of the actual meat of what's being done, it's just a pretty good wrestling match. But I, I still... I enjoyed this match a fair bit. Not a great Danielson title defense, but a good one. And if you're like a Danielson completist, a little bit different probably than a lot of the matches surrounding it. Yeah, I like this match better than I remembered. Um, listless, come on, get it? Double meeting. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it wasn't a super uh, energetic uh, introduction either. Listless, never mind. All right. You um, love lists. List yeah, puns, you 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 just you're the master of them. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, li <laughs> list list them, list and learn. Um, but um, no, yeah, I I mostly agree with you. I would say um, the one thing that you did not mention as much is how how hard Danielson tried to get that you're going to get your fucking head kicked in chant started because um, he and I believe this is the first time he ever at least in America, I mean, in Ring of Honor, 
the first time. He actually tells the crowd to chant it, and they do. Yeah, he must have picked it up when he was traveling in Europe, right? Yeah, and, I believe in his book he wrote, he, he heard it was like a football chant in Europe. Yeah, which doesn't really make a lot of sense as football. I guess, you know, the uh, the uh, European listeners can explain that because I know that there's fighting, like, you know, soccer riots happen, but, like, it's not, like, technically part of the game. <laughs> They're not supposed yeah. to kick each other's heads in. Like, um, are, are, are the fans just suggesting you're going to – you, the opposing players, are going to fall and get accidentally hit in the head by the <laughs> opponent? That's right. That's clearly their intentions, man. You're going to get your fucking head accidentally trampled on. Um, but um, – yeah, so so he 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 tells the crowd to chant this, and the crowd like a couple people do it, but they don't exactly take to it like in the in the sense of like they'll just very quickly transition to chanting dragon and let's go dragon, um, but like a few minutes later, someone finally does um, start start chanting. You're gonna get your fucking head kicked in, and you know Danielson is giddy, but it doesn't really take off beyond a few people near the you know near the front rows. Um, but he'll keep up. He'll keep at it. Eventually, we'll get over as a chant. And to this day, you still occasionally hear it in AEW crowds. I, it is I, referenced in his in his AEW theme music. They don't say the effing, but they have a background chant in his theme of "You're gonna get your head kicked in." Yeah, he does it. In, he says it in promos. Um, yeah, I, I I dream one day of a large AEW crowd like chanting it loudly which we have not gotten yet where like the whole crowd is chanting it i i guess it's probably not gonna happen it's too lewd although they do love their cursing in aew just not the f word yet um one day we'll get get your shit 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 (laughs) maybe tbs allows for the f word too who knows speaking (laughs) of f words um carino carino calls a fan the f slur and of course since it's 2005 roh it does get a big pop unfortunately but prezak you know he very cleverly undercuts it he goes because you know at time they probably weren't allowed to be like oh like that's horrible let's don't say that so prezak just goes drawing a page out of the aj styles playbook which i very much appreciated prezak saying that and then um then Carino also says, I'm going to teach the young boy a lesson. Um, still funny to me that, you know, how old was Carino at this point? 32, something like that. He, he's younger than we are now. And by a lot, it, by a lot. <laughs> it is depressing. Like he's like five years younger and he, and he was acting at this point like he was like this grizzled veteran that was near the end of his career. And I'm like, God damn you, Steve Carino. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he was acting like that a few years before this. Um, yeah, but yeah, but he, but like, I, I agree with you about the match. You know, I think Carino does add a different dynamic to it, but you can tell that he's working really hard. And I actually, I think this match was better than I remembered. Like, I, I, I thought that I thought the stiffness was good. I, I thought that the big spots were good. You're right, like that they do the big opening spot and then they just are like, okay, let's just start. Like we're starting the first place. You know, that, yeah. that had never happened. Like they just go to immediately to the feeling out period, which is not great. But you know, once they uh, once they get going, they get going. And you know, like I love the little things Danielson does. I mean, as you know, like we both do. But like one of the things I noticed in this match. You know, it's a pretty normal thing to see in a match. A guy just like the guy's in the corner. His opponent puts him on the top rope to go for a superplex. But there was a spot here where Carino tried to put Danielson on the top rope, but Danielson was like lowering his center of gravity to avoid being put on the top rope. And you hear Carino being like, oh, as he tries to lift him up and Danielson fights <laughs> it. And then eventually he gets him up there. But like, I thought it was cool because I can't think of too many matches where you see that spot being blocked that way, right? So yeah. like it's just like a little detail it makes sense, right? I don't want to be 
um, superplexed. So I am going to try to avoid it. Um, which I appreciate it. Um, another memorable spot in the match was when Danielson goes for the surfboard and he, he like goes, whoa, whoa, and tries to, tries to go back, but then he just goes, he's too fat and jumps up and down on Carino's legs. Um, I unfortunately am going to have to cancel Brian Danielson for body shaming, <laughs> but it was a memorable chant at the time. Um, but, um, but yeah, like, I mean, everything you said makes sense. I just, I really like the, uh, the final sequence, you know, it's, it's one of those things where the crowd was not loud for this, but they, you know, they, they got into the right moments. Um, you know, it was a problem that the crowd did not in any way see Carino as a credible threat, but you know what, when somebody is a new champion, it's going to happen sometimes. And I thought they did a pretty good job, all things considered with the a match that nobody thought there would be a title change. And with a crowd that wasn't a super easy crowd, um, and yeah, I thought this was a very good match. Not a memorable one, but a very good one. And, uh, you know, it's tough for me. I don't know if I think this is the match of the show or if the brawl was, but I like them both. And I thought they were yeah. both, like, worth watching. And I think they're so different that, like, it just depends kind of what you want. You know, you know, do you want a big, crazy gimmick brawl or do you want a very much straight-up wrestling match? But right. I, I can see arguments for either. So, uh after the match, uh, Brian and Carino shake hands, and Danielson gets the crowd to do one more. You're going to get your fucking head kicked in chant, which he is clearly absolutely tickled that he could even get one or two people in the crowd to do it. He's, he's just giddy every time during the match and after the match that fans say it. Um, the camera falls Brian back to the curtain, and we are in near total darkness, not the good area where there's well lit. But we can at least hear Roderick Strong congratulate Brian on his match tonight. Strong then immediately gets attacked by the embassy, and Generation makes, Next makes the save, and they brawl throughout the building, as, which is thankfully well lit as the crowd was beginning to leave. And they're like, oh, well, this is still going on. Yeah, we just see a brawling for a while. And then finally... We cut to a steel lifting weights at what he tells us is Sweat Gym, housed next to Harley Race's wrestling school. This whole promo appears to be shot in something approaching night vision. Yeah, but, it's uh, night vision. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, Ace says Ring of Honor wants to know if he's going to exact some revenge on Chad Collier. Ace recaps that Collier making him bleed buckets at Punk the Final Chapter. Ace says every night since then he's worked out with bad intentions of hurting Collier. Harley thinks Ace is nuts. The people of his town think he's nuts. His wife thinks he's goofy because he's working out so much to prepare. I think think he's Pluto. (laughs) I think he's Petunia. Uh, Ace (laughs) says he's losing money. He's losing friends. He's losing his wife because of this. He says he will be back, but the question is, when will he appear? Will it be the next Ring of Honor show? Uh, Collier's next indie appearance or a supermarket Indiana when Collier's shopping with his wife as they're squeezing oranges to make sure they're nice and ripe or when he's taking out his dog if we see his dog out to get the paper Ace says I might then just jump out of the bushes and hit you with a steel chair leaving you in a pool of your own blood and urine crap all over yourself so <laughs> that's, that's what that's what took the promo to a different level that line right there <laughs> yeah so I don't know if he's suggesting that um, Collier will piss himself when he gets hit with a chair and then fall in dog in his own dog's shit or will he piss and shit himself after getting hit with a steel chair both why not both um ace says he will have his revenge if people thought he was nuts before wait and see how crazy he's going to get now 
And that is the final bit of new content we get on the show. We get some ads that we've seen before on other Ring of Honor releases for Ring of Honor merch, shoot interviews, the wrestling school. But that's really it. That is the show. Matt, that was quite a promo. <laughs> yeah, I, for most of the promo, I was like, all right, this is like intense, but like not super well wrought. Like, you know, it's kind of yeah. like, like bland. And then I was like, oh, shit and piss and crap. And it's like, okay, now it's a promo. Um, <laughs> Throw in some Bali fluids. Yes. No, I mean, hey, listen, that's a steal. And he got his character over and good for him. <laughs> and so that – with only a couple hours now, Matt, we are through Buffalo Stampede. What do you think about this show? Um, well, first of all, I really liked that it ended with a brawl. You know, you haven't had a show do that in a while, and I thought it was good. I I wish that they had like like didn't just randomly cut away for it from it because like that just leaves you thinking like, okay, this brawl had some sort of outcome. What was it? Um, you know, they could have at least done like a few minutes later and shown the ending of the brawl, but like. I, I appreciated that they tried to end the show differently than usual. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can see from like our, our recaps, like more than you did, I liked a lot of the matches on this. This was obviously a B show, but like it was it way overperformed my expectations. I thought it was very entertaining. I thought the only match I didn't like was Claudio versus Keenan. Every other match I enjoyed. And some of the matches like really, um, you know, really outperform my expectations. I, um, including, you know, even that tag team title match, which you didn't like, I thought was, was pretty, pretty enjoyable. And I really liked Lethal and Jacobs. I, I really, really liked the, the, the six way, the six man brawl. I thought that the Cabana and Loki match was novel and entertaining. I, I thought that Joe and Nigel, you know, had a fun little match. And I thought the main event was really good. So like, that's a good show. I, um, nothing super important happened, but like, this was a good B show. Like I, 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 on the list of B shows we've watched, this is up there for me. Yeah, I would rank this lower. I, I thought this was a decent show, but I thought it was just I would put this just in kind of the middle round realm of B shows. I feel you know there wasn't the one match or moment that would really make me say you gotta see this for any reason. But there was yeah, there was a lot of of decent stuff here, uh, stuff that I think. Again, maybe part of me is being I had I was I was lower on two of the bigger mat- matches, the tag match and the the six man brawl. Although I did still like the six man brawl affair, but I feel like I come I'm coming off of it a bit harder than I was. I I do feel like every match other than the main event that went long could have been trimmed, which kind of maybe also affects how I feel. Like I even even the six man, which I felt was pretty good, I felt could have been shorter. The cult match, which I think we both probably will end up liking more than a lot of people that watch it or review it. Um it, we I think we both agree it could have been a few minutes shorter. I think the tag match could have been shorter. But you know, it's it, it, it like again, I always say with 2005 Ring of Honor, the the floor for 2005 Ring of Honor is really high, and I yeah. don't think this is the worst show of 2005. So it's above that even. Yeah, I see. Like there was there was a period in like mid 05 where I was like, oh, these matches are getting kind of dull, and I think we've passed that period to the point where it's like, oh, actually, I think like the wrestling quality is getting like consistently high again to the point where even the the lesser matches are pretty are pretty solid. Yeah. And, and yeah, so it was a, it was not a bad watch at all. And, uh, that brings us to the end of the show. So 
For plugs, if you want to contact us, there's a bunch of ways. There is through the years at gmail.com, T-H-R-O-H. We also have a thread on the ProWrestlingOnly.com plugs forum. We also have um, our Twitters. I am at Trevor Dame. Matt is at Mayor M-G-F. And yeah, that's uh, that's it. That's it. So until we got uh, our next show will be uh, This Means War, which is made evented by uh, the first of many, at least two more after this, Roderick Strong, Brian Danielson World title matches. And I believe this is the match that Brian in his book will, will certainly quote it, will talk talks about this being like a kind of a turning point in his persona and his approach to uh, – at least Ring of Honor is wrestling here. So it's actually a kind of a significant match that people don't remember as significant. And I think it's got Aries and uh, AJ Styles and a whole bunch of other stuff. So plenty of fun stuff to talk about then. And so then, until next time, have a good time. Have a great time.